Welcome to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will talk about some games that we've played over the last couple weeks or so. We will do a spotlight on Tapestry. We will discuss technological advancements in board gaming. Then get to our top three de favorite dexterity games. Today is episode number 10, and we are recording at Demolition Games, located at 3300 South and 85 West in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the area, we highly suggest that you come and check out Demolition Games for a great selection at great prices. And we are your hosts. I am Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. And winter is coming. Yes. Now, I, I say that with never seen you. Seen, uh, Game of Thrones, <laughs> but I think the statement is still true. Um, have, so this is an observation of mine. Have you guys noticed that in the winter time, the board gaming community sort of swells? Mm -hmm. And I say, I use the word swell because swelling goes down. Mm -hmm. It typically goes down in like the summer. But have you noticed that everything like kind of... Yeah. I've definitely thought about it before. I don't know if it's actually true. It is true to some extent, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the summer is more of a kind of a uh, lower attendance in general time of year because people are outside and they want to do stuff. I can think of yeah. specific names of people in our group who come way more in the winter than in the summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I've always said that the summertime separates the real gamers from, <laughs> yeah. from the Yeah, exactly. If you play when the weather's good, then... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, especially in, like, Salt Lake and Utah, there's, like, a lot of outdoorsy stuff to do around here. Then, like, half the year's, like, winter, so, you know. And our winters can be pretty miserable. But yeah. not like the miserable, like there's like nice white snow falling and all of that. It's just like sleet and gross. Uh -huh. But for the community, it's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I think because of the weather, some people might choose to stay home, though. So that's something I thought about before is like, what if it snows really a lot and or something and people just don't feel like going out, you know, right. winter depression or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, ooh, I wonder if the like holidays it. have anything to do with it, too. The holidays come about, maybe family comes in. Yes, and that like, is a big deal as well, yeah. But then, like, you're pulling games off the shelf to play with your family, and it maybe rejuvenates the gamer in you. So you start mm -hmm. coming around to meetups. I don't know. It's just something that I've been thinking about lately since winter is on its way. But it's so cozy playing in winter. I it do is. like playing in winter a lot yeah. in the summer. Oh, really for sure. It. Yeah. Being in a warm place, looking outside and seeing snow, and just like playing board games yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we are now going to get into some games that we've played as of recently. All right, um... I played Paladins of the West Kingdom uh, last week. Um, Paladins of the West Kingdom is a game by Shem Phillips. Uh, he's previously done Raiders of the North Sea, um, Explorers of the North Sea, Shipwrights of the North Sea, I think, North Sea Rune Saga. Uh, he's kind of, I guess, famous for kind of doing a kind of innovative things with games. Um, he usually has some kind of a, I, I want to say almost like a gimmick or something, just an, a, a fresh take on usually like worker placement is what uh, his previous two games have been. Um, Paladins, I'm not sure if there's a gimmick there. Um, it actually, if, if there's a game that it feels more close to is uh, maybe Orléans or uh, maybe Altiplano or something. Basically, it's not really as much worker placement as worker allocation. Um, 
And unlike a bag building game, you actually get your workers with a draft at the beginning of the round. So there's not a bag that you pull out of. There's cards. And your paladin actually has a couple of workers on it. Um, so what is the, the theme of the game? Kind of uh, The theme of the game actually is kind of hilarious. That's one thing that I didn't think I was going to care much for because it kind of looked pretty themeless. Um, I my impression from it is actually that it's kind of like going for a almost like a candide uh vibe. There's a country called West Francia and uh you're like battling infidels and uh very non-PC. You're either destroying them or converting them. <laughs> and they're literally like Vikings, Saracens, like uh just <laughs> foreigners basically. And you're trying to build up defenses for your city and you're trying to like convert them or destroy them. <laughs> Those are the choices that, that you have to interact with uh, the outsiders. Um, there's some kind of like dark, uh, cynical humor, I guess, there. There's a guy called uh, Defender. Uh, I like when games actually do that, when they have thematic ties for like the cards, like engine building games, and the cards actually make sense. So, for example, Defender is like he, when you destroy, an outsider, you get a laborer. So thematically, you kind of like enslave them, I think, or like, you know, indentured servants or something. Sometimes games do it where if you kill something, it turns into food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Or somebody. Uh, there was uh, the, the the most, the funniest one, I think, of the kind is the the vomitorium or something in Glory to Rome, I think. Vomitorium? Yeah. Is that where you go to vomit? Yeah. It, you, like, <laughs> vomit up all the cards. So, like, you, oh, I think you just, great. like, all the cards get returned to you or something, or you, like, throw away yeah. your cards or something. The effect was really, really funny, though. Uh, so anyway, I like when they when engine building games actually have cards that make sense and yeah, they're thematically yeah. tied. I'm not sure how many ties there are in Paladins, but that card was kind of funny. Uh, I I wasn't paying attention, so I think I would find other funny things like that if uh, that was. I think Shem Phillip designs his games for like the history buffs like me because I love all of his games because there's so many little nuggets of like actual history in there. So like. Um, in, I haven't played the other in the Rune Saga. I've just played Raiders of the North Sea, but it's very historic of your invading up the coast of Britain and the, like you go up the, the rivers to get farther in and you can attack monasteries. It's very thematic that way historically. Um, they meet more and more resistance. Yeah. 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 It's, um, and then the architects of the West Kingdom. So I think the West Kingdom is set more in, like, Gaul and France during Charlemagne's range. Ray, eh, yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's also Paladins. Uh, I was yeah, thinking, like, Paladins Charlemagne were, and, yeah. Yeah, Paladins yeah. were Charlemagne's knights. That's what they were called. Yep. Um, and at that time, yeah, you were defending, or they were defending against the raids of, like, the, the Vikings and the um, what they were called was Saracens, but they were from the Middle East. And, yep. Yeah. So exactly. it's very historically accurate, and yeah, not very politically correct. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, because Vikings are attacking, he completely reused the art from Raiders of the North Sea. Like, there's no changes whatsoever. The cards have the exact same pictures. So, <laughs> like, the Raiders are, like, attacking you now, uh, mm -hmm. which is pretty hilarious. I've never seen that. 
what reusing of art exact or something, same or? art yeah like, yeah yeah like, uh, actually like it's kind of weird his games all look exactly the same he uses the same like tokens everything's like the same just the obviously the game is very oh, well, different he, he missed out on a great marketing scam he could have been like if you want to play paladins you need a copy of raiders to play with the cards <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. That, that's actually what i was thinking about this yeah he could have done that yeah he could have literally just reused the components from other games i guess there's some minor differences like the work need to be a particular color the, I don't know if they had purple workers um, anyway uh, the biggest thing with his games though so far has been for me that I feel like they're a little bit too linear like there's just a line to, uh, mm. towards the end and they have been kind of racing games uh, or race games or whatever what I, what I mean there's no set number of rounds the game ends when someone reaches some goal so the whole game kind of devolves into this like get whatever stuff you can get as fast as possible and just race for that goal and you cannot make like a more elaborate strategy or something because there's just not enough time and usually if somebody ends the game and you're doing something longer term you're screwed there's no way you're gonna win usually the person who ends the game wins not always but um you're kind of incentivized to rush a lot in his games this game has a set number of rounds it's seven you play all rounds and actually there's a uh, mechanic where basically um, kind of like in engine building games where people wait for you to finish the round so you might actually be playing longer than mm. someone else so if your round is longer if what you're doing is longer or takes longer um, because you take one action each and then somebody might pass but they wait for everyone to finish so somebody might be going for another like five or ten turns or something um, so that's completely different from previous games also I think he's improved there used to be a lot of like top decking in games you know like basically in Raiders kind of like oh I drew the right card then it's the cheap card and I want cheap cards at the beginning of the game I want point cards towards the end of the game this game is a little bit better he has multi-use cards now um, you have two options. One is engine building, the other one is immediate reward, and it's kind of good and cheap. Basically, the balancing of the game is what I'm saying is a little bit better than previous games overall. That's what at least it feels like to me. Uh, the other thing um, uh, that's kind of different about this game is there used to be a lot of negative player interaction, like, you know, in Raiders, like, Haha, I destroy your guy, or like, I steal your stuff. Uh, in Architects, there's the arresting mechanic. In this one, it's a lot more, more solitaire, actually. There's kind of no negative interaction uh, in the game. There's racing for specific spaces that are shared and specific cards, maybe. But there's... I can't actually think of a card that takes away stuff from another person. So that actually, some people might dislike that. I think uh, some people like the interaction and the... Uh, Paladins definitely feels like more solitaire. You're just kind of like, um, sometimes you don't even care what people do. If you're done with the shared spaces, you're just optimizing your own board. Like, how am I going to use my workers? Uh, another thing I wanted to say is actually, it's basically a track game. You have three tracks and you're kind of going up on them. And it reminded me of Abomination in a weird way. Um, and I was actually thinking that's the way to make a track game kind of right because if you think about the game it's kind of pretty boring actually like you just go up on tracks pretty much the whole game and you optimize actions uh, but the choice of paladin gives you temporary boosts on the tracks how high you're on the tracks matters for different actions you can build a little bit of an engine so it's kind of a case study to me of like 
a, a tracks game. You go up on like you have like a faith, influence, and strength or something, and they're connected with a lot of points. Uh, I'm not going to explain the whole game, but basically, it's a, it's all about pushing those tracks up, and that somehow is actually very interesting in that game. Um, overall, I actually kind of liked the game. I think it's his best game yet. Um, I'm not sure if it's like absolutely perfect, but it, I generally have positive impressions from it, and I'd like to play again. So um, that's Paladins. Is it really long? It's actually not long. Oh, speaking of long, we had a really long game with newer people. Um, so even despite that, I liked the game. But we played a ridiculously long game. I think it can actually be played in like probably 30 minutes per player, maybe. So it is a little bit longer, maybe, than his previous games, but not much. It okay. shouldn't be. Somebody shouldn't was telling me three bad. hours, both games they played in. That seems like a little much. Three hours both games for they Shem played. Phillips game, yeah, that seems really long. Uh, uh, Shem Phillips, he also did Knock the Luca, which yeah. is yeah. kind of like Surprise. out of like he does. But it's like, another novel mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. And yeah, I got nothing historical on that one. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't use like flags and uh, Raiders art and like green backgrounds, and <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird. <laughs> Well, I, that made me want to play it. I thought uh, I was protesting yeah. these games, but maybe I'll come uh, to protest. No, it's it's actually, I think, is the one to try from his games. If uh, I'm, I'm kind of, like, not excited. Some people really like his other games. I'm not excited about them. I think I like this one the best. Just, it kind of appeals to me. There's more engine building. There's more, like... Uh, the seven rounds thing is huge for me because I really don't like racing games when there's like top decking benefits for people because mm -hmm. it's kind of pretty lucky. I think that's my least favorite in-game condition is like someone getting to something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be points if or if like it's not ten you, you... cards in front of you or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just I feel like rounds are better. You could better plan. It, yeah. yeah. And it's so easy to rush a game like that. Yeah. That's Always too, one yeah, of the too. four players is going yeah. to rush. So count yeah. on being rushed. Or yep. somebody's taking their time with something that maybe is like dragging the game. Whether it's Hansa Teutonica or Black Angel. Yeah. 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 I'd be a little concerned if my games continue to be longer. I think we had a longer game because of newer people. Um, so I think it can be played in like an hour and a half, two hours. That's what it should be when everyone kind of knows the game. The first game might be a little bit longer because actually it is also a little bit more complex than like Raiders. Raiders is just like kind of like, yay. Mm -hmm. This one you have to actually think about like engine building and uh, optimizing stuff. Um, so this week I got to play um, Pret-a-Porte, uh, which is the new game by um, Ignasi, help me pronounce his last name. Trevishek. Trevishek probably. I don't know. Trevishek. I don't know. Ignasi. It's not super new, it's just a reprint from oh, 2010. Oh yeah, yeah, it is a reprint. Say. When did it come out? 2010. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was even earlier, pretty actually. It was kind of like a grail game for me in a way because it was out of yeah. print and you couldn't find it anywhere. Well, that's nine years old. That's kind of old, right? Yeah. Oh, like, uh, did it ever come out in the States? I don't know. BGG says 2010, so maybe it didn't come out in the States until... It, yeah, it was kind of a grail game for me, too, because it felt... It, Matt and I had heard about it when we first got into the hobby and we were like, that sounds so cool. So we were really excited when it came to demo. Um, and we bought it and it was, I was really excited to play it. And after my first playthrough, I'm a little leery. It definitely has that Ignacy thing of there's going to be a runaway leader and there is not a lot in this game you can do to stop the runaway leader. It feels like, and, um, 
Was the runaway leader Christo? Yeah. yeah. I, w- okay. I want to say nothing is what you can do to stop them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost one of those games, kind of like um, Food Chain Magnate along those lines, where I'd almost only play it two players so that once there's one person who's like 300 points ahead, I can just be like, I'm done. Yeah. Because uh, when you're... It's a race to get ahead, yeah. basically, when you play that yeah. type of well, game and when I players. think. Yeah, in yeah. our situation, like, Krista was, like, 250 points ahead of me, and Matt was, like, 120 points ahead of me, and I was at, like, 30 points. And I was like, I don't want to play anymore, guys. I'm <laughs> yeah. bored. Uh, to be honest, what happened in, in our game is I think I kind of lucked into or maybe, like, foresaw the two things that are arguably the most broken in the game, and I utilized both of them. And actually, Matt wasn't that far behind, I think. Which is basically like there's accountant cards and like there's like a point cards, uh, investment house or whatever they were called. Those were the two yeah. things that I think were pretty huge. Like I got both accountants and both investment houses. So yeah. that was kind of just hilarious. Yeah, it's really snowball-y. The accountants build your money engine and then later on the investment houses convert that money to points. Uh, insane. So right? I'm not sure that yeah. it's a runaway leader problem. I don't think we need to have catch-up mechanisms in every game. I thought it was kind of refreshing to, you know, I mean... Go play Quacks at Kledenberg then. Um, <laughs> but I think it does have a starting player problem. I bet the starting player wins twice as many games as the last player because just if one accountant comes out, that starting player is going to grab him and there's no compensation for it. Mm-hmm. If My... two accountants come out, the first and second players get them. And, you know, the third player, well, how's the third player ever going to get an accountant? He's is, not... there, is there a variable player order? So let me explain that because this is the part that okay. really got, got me was, okay, so... How does it work? So uh, you have it, your player order, and it's determined by um, who has the most money and points total, because money at the end of the game, you add up to make points. And so what you do is the person who has the most points is last, and then least is first, you know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, then after you do one round like that, then you switch it. So now the person who has the most points and the most money is first, and the person who has the least points and the least money is last. So, and then you buy all of these cards that you have with money. So not only do you have the least money and the least points and the least choice of cards to buy, you also are going last. Mm -hmm. And this game, at first glance, when you explain the rules, at least to me, it was, well, this is a worker placement game, right? This is about choosing where you place your workers and in what order you do things. And, you know, it's kind of that economic simulator oh, no, it's about getting the right cards at the right time. And if you are the runaway leader, if you have the most points and the most cards and you're going first, you're just set up because you have all of the choices of all of the cards on the board. You can pick the best one and there's not a lot anyone else can do about it. Yeah, actually, uh, it's a game where there are workers, but... (laughs) The game is kind of about cards, I think, yeah. maybe more than workers or equally as much as workers. There's uh, some other games like that, which is actually 51st State has workers. The game is pretty much about cards. There's The workers mm-hmm. are there and they do stuff and there's actually worker placement concepts. They are pretty weak in comparison to the cards. Yeah. Uh, Everdell is actually that way. It looks like a worker placement game at first, but if you do the worker placement stuff, you're done like in five minutes or something. Uh, you need to work the cards. Um, Paladins is actually that way a little bit. Uh, there's workers, but the cards actually make you win, really, because the cards are the engine building, I think. Um, actually, you can play the worker placement. So there's a lot of games where like it looks like a worker placement, but it's 
the cards are yeah. very powerful. I think Pret Porte is mm -hmm. one of them. Is like you need to look oh. at the cards and think about what they are. Can I say that? So, I guess I just want to sit down and ask, like, what the point of the turn order thing was, because I get the idea of having the person who has the most money go last because, you know, they're they have the wide open board, so kind of hemming that in, they can afford everything on there. But why would you switch it? Because at that point, the person who has all of that money is going to go, is going to just take over all the best cards, no matter what. You can actually house rule it, but the worker thing was actually, or the turn order thing was actually an advanced variant or something. The regular variant is pretty funny. You just go around the table. You just pass left. That's that's yeah. how it's. That's supposed always to. an elegant and bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this thing that we did was actually a variant. To Matt's point, I don't think I mind always a runaway leader. Like like he said, uh, I think it is refreshing not to have a catch up mechanic in every game. However, the rich get richer is what this sounds like. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And like that's like something that I don't really care for. Two things on that. It's kind of thematic. Like another kind of trolley card that the leader will have an advantage in getting are like the real estate offices, which mean there's a whole section of the board, and before anybody goes, you get to take an action there. Oh, so yeah, there's actually somebody who goes before the leader. It's whoever has these trolley cards. Hmm. Who gets the trolley cards? The leader. <laughs> but this game does not overstay its welcome. It's three quick rounds, and I... Christo, you got kind of bogged down in calculations. I kind of want to make fun of you for that because you had $1,000. You could have just bought everything you wanted and still had money left over. That was the calculation I would have done in your shoes. Uh, <laughs> I actually was kind of doing that. I devolved into that through, through, through at the end of the game because to Matt's point, it's actually kind of uh, was pretty unfortunate because the more you have, the more you have to calculate and the more you have to plan and it's kind of like... Be, be, I'm just like sitting there doing like planning and like just you know, just like uh and it's yeah. kind of very unfortunate that way but that's the way the game is like the more you have the more you have to worry about and the more you have to sit there and plan like colors and stuff by the end of the game I just kind of devolved into like I'll just get one of each or something like I'm <laughs> not sure what I need anymore so I'll just like get and it one worked out huh? <laughs> and it worked out yeah uh, no I, I was trying to save up money because for those investment uh, houses you do need to have money to spend yeah. to convert to points so that's the downside of them is if you run out of money actually they're kind of useless and you need money to like keep your game going to buy colors to make dresses or whatever so yeah. I thought some of the variance was unnecessary like um, there's recipes that you need to fulfill at the bottom and just hope you get lucky and get your icons everybody has a special icon that he wants and just if yeah. you're lucky you get yours if you don't you don't um, there you can build an engine for top decking those cards, which I'm not sure if it makes it better or worse. I guess you could draw so many cards, who cares, you're going to get enough matching icons. But well, then, like, as a mechanism, just top decking a bunch of cards doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Well, then I had a piddly little engine where it was like, I could top deck a bunch of cards, and then I could sell one card back around for money for, like, $7, which, you know, I was all excited about because I built this great engine, and then I look over at Risto, who's like, I'm going to use this card to make a hundred dollars, and then I'm going to use this card to turn that into fifty yeah. points. <laughs> I was going to say I had an incredible Great. money card as well. Sell thread thread for like I don't know, like a lot of money. I got a lot of good cards that game. 
So you didn't like it, Justine? I want to give it another try because it is one of those, like, it's almost like I'm invested in this game as a concept <laughs> because when I had first heard about it, when I first started, I was like, that sounds so cool. So I'm like invested in this game as a concept. So I really want to like it. The anticipation and I want to try has been too again. long yeah. to not like it. But I just, the, the turn order concept boggles <laughs> my mind. Like I, I like the variable turn order. But why do it that way? I don't understand. Did you like how it looks? It's beautiful. Yeah, I thought so too. Except for the weird promo cards they threw in. Like, I was all excited. Like, I got 10 extra promo cards because it was a Kickstarter. Those things were ugly. That's a cartoon pirate wearing dresses. I think it was supposed to be ugly, right? I hope. (laughs) I hope. I don't know. But anyway, the bright, colorful wooden thread and the designs on the box all look great. Absolutely gorgeous game. I want to give it another try, but I want to take the turn order thing out. That's just weird to me. So I that was a new game this week, and uh, I didn't play a lot of new games this week because it was Dexterity Games week for me, but I did play an oldie called Lorenzo in which... El Magnifico? Yes. All right. <laughs> Have you heard of it? <laughs> Where I got excommunicated in the first third of the game. So I was supposed to be paying four more for every blue card I bought for the rest of the game. I promptly forgot and didn't realize until the very last turn of the game. And so I said, whatever, guys, I lose. I'm disqualified. But this is maybe a bridge into our topic, or not a bridge, but a preview of our topic. When you're playing chess on the computer, for instance, it doesn't let you move your king into check. If I was playing Lorenzo on the computer with some kind of app, it wouldn't let me fail that hard at the rules. So I'm going to say right now, I'm going to be really grumpy when we're talking about apps and texts and board games and stuff, but let me highlight that they will keep you from doing really stupid things like forget forgetting just like a big central mechanism in a game that you've played 30 times, you know what I mean? That's a good point, but I also think that that's part of gaming is remembering everything, you know? And that's part of the good thing that's like... Helping exercise our brain and keeping our brain sharp. more alive. <laughs> yeah, it's like Alzheimer's trying away. to remember every single thing. But I would say that like sometimes uh, being excommunicated in Lorenzo, depending on the situation, is not so bad. Mm-hmm. You could still definitely win. You just push that track all the way up. Right? Yes, I love finding combos where yeah. you can just like, oh, I'll take this in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get excommunicated twice. I would love a Botiju implementation of this and play it online. His game Zulkin is online. But mm-hmm. since this game has a bad rule book and there's sometimes ticky-tack things to remember, I would love to be able to play this one on computer. Gotcha. Um, so I played uh, TMG's, one of their new small box games called Dawn of Mankind. Uh, the box cover actually looks like a game that I wouldn't be interested in and I was a little bit, like, not excited to play it because, like, it has, like, caveman-looking people with... Uh, with like torches in their hands. It looks like an exploration game. It looks like a small exploration game. But when it was set up and I learned the rules for it, I was like, oh, it's an abstract game, essentially, kind of. Um, You're on these kind of like networks of kind of like, almost like the game of life where you're like choosing which path to take your cavemen on, where you're learning like um, how to make fire and how to use tools and hunting and whatnot. And on these, so... You start at the beginning and you choose one track to go on. You go on the space and, you know, BGG calls it worker placement, but I would argue very much that it's not, but a descendant maybe 
uh, of worker placement games. So you go to the spot and you can't go to that spot with your other people. And it, it's an action space, but other people can bump you off, which is good for you. So I guess like the blocking is that they don't want to block, they don't want to push you off. So whatever. Um, because once you have all your people that are on the board on a space, you'll have to take a rest, which is just taking them off and putting them on these little network lines that come off and you go in different directions. Um, it's really neat because of certain combos you can do. Oh, sometimes when you go over a space, you make a baby. So you just throw more workers in the, in the little starting space. And there's neat little combos to find where you can... It's basically like recipe fulfillment, too, and you can get cards that kind of help you out as well. But you're just trying to figure out the best situation for your caveman by going... Using your guy that's in, in near the start to get something for your guy that's near the end so he can fulfill certain things that's and get cool. points. Basically like a multiplayer abstract game. Um... But I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. I was gonna say, does it feel like a tech tree or something? Like these networks and pushing people along and like connected things sounds like a tech tree, like in Pulsar, you know, like you're playing on the tech tree, maybe. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're Some, saying. Something it, like that. Kind of like that. I mean, a lot of it is like recipe fulfillment, and the tracks are interesting because there's this, there's a spot to dump resources for a lot of points but there's only one path to it whereas the other spots have like multiple paths that you can take and like kind of leer off to different paths this one's just a, like kind of a straight line and it's kind of the best one but then that means that you have to get, have your other guys going and collecting things and having him just sit and wait to move to that spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sitting and waiting and having two guys actually sounds a lot like Sierra West. There's a mechanic in Sierra West where you send, there's a similar thing like two workers move and you can actually have one sit and kind of power up the other guy temporarily mm -hmm. while the other guy's doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that guy starts doing stuff as well, like the huts mechanic. Tay Wakon does it too. That sounds really cool. Oh, it was, yeah. It's, it's really short and it's. Um, I mean, it's light. It's pretty light, but there's depth there, and uh, I would definitely play it again. It like surprised me more than anything because I just, I just was fine with trying it, but I thought I was going to hate it. But then once <laughs> I saw it set up, I was like, oh no, I think I'll actually like this. So, um, so uh, yeah, I I appreciate it. That's Dawn of Mankind. That sounds cool. Designer is like I don't know. He's done games I've never heard of. <laughs> Doesn't mean you never heard of him, but I'll just pretend like that's true. All right, so that was our games played. <laughs> Next up is our spotlight on Tapestry. All right, so Tapestry, the new Stonemeyer game that was designed by Jamie Stegmeyer this time. The last <laughs> one we got wasn't, right? Wingspan. Was, yeah. Um, tapestry, okay, I could let somebody else explain the mechanics of it, but this is my ruling of like how I look at it. He liked the tracks on Terra Mystica and made it into a board game. But there's more to it than that. I think oh, much more. <laughs> more <laughs> the tracks and Gaia Project. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because yeah, each track gets rewards at different steps. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, More guy, project. project not yeah. I'd say the way the game feels is actually pretty unique. Like it is kind of like Gaia Project. Yeah, you're going up on tracks and getting stuff, but obviously, like the tracks are almost pretty much the whole game actually. So there is more going on than Terra Mystica or Gaia Project, obviously, because <laughs> that is literally the whole game is go up on track. That's your yeah. that's your faction. So no. the theme is the theme is a uh, civilization building game and and i should say that the theme is civilization not necessarily the game the game isn't doesn't feel like a civilization game it doesn't feel like a civ game and it was kind of advertised as such true very true this was not a surprise to me when i played it but um so you're taking you're taking turns moving up tracks how you moving up tracks with resources everybody just has the same four resources and they're um, counted on just like a, a track as well. Mm-hmm. And once you run out of resources and can't do anything more, or I guess if you just want to pass and save your resources, which I don't think is very good, but you play a tapestry card, and a tapestry card is like a, no, a new era in your own civilization. And it could give you uh, an immediate benefit or a continuous benefit for the round. And everybody's sort of doing this in different times, I would like to highlight that I I do like because so we're talking about just now in in most like engine building games where people can pass and they kind of have to wait for the round to end right mm-hmm. so this is taking that and kind of throwing it to the end of the game mm-hmm. because if I pass I'm doing quotation marks by the way um, I'm not really passing I'm putting down a tapestry card I'm mm-hmm. I'm moving on to a different era I'm pushing up my resources scoring some things. By the time it gets back to my turn again, I'm just continuing in that era. So I'm 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 never waiting for people um, after I pass until the end. Mm-hmm. It kind of pushes that all to the end. Um, I but it's not say, like you're going to be waiting for an hour. I wanted to say, <laughs> we'll get to that. I wanted to say the game is pretty much like four mini games. Is really what it is. Uh, one mini game is the navigation track, which builds the board. Like if you think about it, that's what you're mm-hmm. doing: is building the board, putting tiles on the board. The other game is the military track, which actually like fights on the board. So it's like a you're putting weird, your presence on the board. Yeah, putting presence and like almost like fighting. a military game. Yeah. The other one is a thick track where you're doing card combos, basically. Like you're doing like a weird card combo thing to the side. So like you might get some stuff out of cards. And the final one is the most awkward one, in my opinion, where there's like a city that you're building. And you're kind of rolling the die to go up on the other tracks randomly, science. Mm-hmm. And the city you're building is like, I think, the weirdest one. Because it feels very disconnected from the rest of the game, to me, at least. Kind of sits to the side of your board. And you're trying to make, like, lines and fill up squares mm-hmm. on it. That's So it's kind of like those four mini games coming together. That's really what Tapestry is, in, in my opinion. I agree mm-hmm. with you. The three yeah. mini games are well integrated. You go up on the blue track and it'll let you score points for your progress in the red track, which might let you score points for something you got from the yellow track, things like that. Board states help you get more points in other parts. The city board off to the side isn't well integrated, but it seems really fun at first. You're rewarded for making entire sections and rows and columns, and I would recommend not playing this game enough to realize that you like shouldn't focus on it that it's like underpowered because it's it's the most fun part of the game and then now that i've played it five times i know to kind of ignore it with the exceptions you know of the couple of civil 
civilization cards you might draw that really need you to focus on it. Well, you could get resources out of it, too. Yeah, yeah like right? one but resource one, for nine, you might do for, that twice yeah. a And game. it's just when you fill it up, right? You fill up that square, you get a resource. Yes. So, yeah, it's really insignificant. I unless did. you have a certain faction, the last maybe... Time. The last time we played, somebody did get all the buildings and filled up all his board and won. I'm pretty sure we weren't supposed to let that happen, but it was yeah. awesome. No, I was going to say something being underpowered, I don't think is the accurate statement in that game. It's like very circumstantial. Every game in Tapestry is very circumstantial. You might have some BS that makes something that's usually stupid actually worth worth doing and that's basically the last game yeah usually that board is a fail but mm -hmm. we someone got literally all the buildings last time so it wasn't a fail because i got I mean, they got all the buildings <laughs> so it kind of like depends on what people do a lot you you ignore it until it's like relevant to you right mm -hmm. yeah i think uh, that i mean yeah. But that's what you do in Tapestry. Uh, yeah. Like Chris is saying, there's these four different mini games, and you just ignore the ones that aren't relevant to yeah, your definitely. faction. I mean, and like, the, the, two of the, the tracks complement each other, right? Mm -hmm. This track and this track and this track and this track. They cross. I, kind things. of. I'm still not sure about that. But yeah, definitely there's some... The blue I think and the waited. red, the exploration and the military definitely complement each other. Yes. They're like entwined. You can't do yeah. one without the other. Yep, yep, that's yeah. true. Um, I'm not sure about tech and science, but I guess yeah. there uh, there was a connection there. There's there a little a bit of one, but getting the connection is scoring for maybe tech cards on the science track or something, or like your city on the tech track, maybe I don't know. Or building up your city is acquiring tech cards. Yes. a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. so mm -hmm. that's what you're encouraged to do. Mm -hmm. I think is. The tech cards give you the science, build up your city minigame fuel to actually make it worthwhile. You can't do all the tracks. Yeah. I learned that because I was the futurist, which is considered an OP faction of the game. They, in fact, just like, he just released like some changes to make to that faction. But my fail was I was like, I'm the futurist, I'm pushing on all tracks. And that was a complete fail. I did go to space for the first time, that was cool. Um, but here's the fail game, and here's where I think I in, it lies the most problems for me. But I think that this particular situation might never happen again. But I'm curious if other people listening have uh, have encountered this. I played as a futurist, which push you on all these tracks right from the beginning of the game. They push you past the build-up tracks. Right, where you're just paying one resource of anything to push on these tracks to get some much needed things for later on in the game. Because it is sort of an engine building too. You're lifting things off, lifting little buildings off yeah. to give you more of an income. And the futurists kind of skip that whole build up phase. So now you're paying not only more resources because you're paying the resource of the track because each track has like a designated resource and another one on top of it. And you're not, you're missing out on things that are kind of in the beginning of the game that you're supposed to build upon. So I didn't like playing as fa fa uh, the futurist. I almost called him fascist. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I thought that it encouraged me to push up all these, all, on all these tracks. I finished my era before everybody because I was running out of resources really quickly because I was spending a lot of resources. And that's my own fault for not uh, optimizing what I can do and getting more resources. However... I finished the game, 
Luckily, the three of these guys were playing hamster roulette, and I got to jump in on it because the game didn't finish. After I finished, the game took an hour to finish after that. Uh, Three player game. The last player was playing for about 20 minutes by himself, too. Mm-hmm. I forget which faction he was. Did you guys pay attention to that? Do you remember the what faction he was? Isolationists. Those two are kind of bad together because the isolationists can get a lot of resources, whereas the futurist is spending a lot of resources. So they kind of like contradict each other as far as gameplay goes. Mm-hmm. But I've witnessed in every game I've played, at least the last player is playing for about 15 minutes at the very least by himself. I think I find that kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and then as to the track interactions, um, the focus firing of the tracks, that actually makes the game feel really linear to me. Since you can't spam all of the tracks or you'll go out early, mm-hmm. you just have to pick which two. And then so you're narrowed down to like two choices to do on your turn. So I feel like the game plays itself. Sorry, I'm laughing because linearly, like, it's literally a line, a line. that you go mm-hmm. up on, like, two lines. You choose two mm-hmm. lines and you go up on them. I think... Pretty much the game. I think the game and the decisions come in on when am I going to go up to the next level? Am I going up to the next level on this track to a point at a point where it's going to benefit me? Or am I going up at a point where I could maybe get a little bit better benefit? Um, so, for example, in the last game I played, I had decided to try a different strategy. I always go up the science track, which is like roll dice, go up other tracks because I figure whatever, I don't have a strategy that'll work. Um, so I decided to do the exploring and the military track for my last game. And so I very carefully went up the explore track and like optimized every move up. And I got all of the landmarks you get for exploring. And then I realized that to hop to the next square that would give me a landmark, which is a big, cool building that you get to put on your city that takes up a ton of space, I had to have gone up the tech track, which I hadn't started. So I decided to wait there. Um, Everybody else was way behind me on the exploring track. So I started hopping up the tech track little by little, thinking, you know, I'm going to get some points out of this. Um, I had my, my space for my little spaceship landmark I was all ready to put down, and then someone <laughs> in our group managed to get a tapestry card that he played, and it let him pick up a landmark that was left on the board. And so he <laughs> grabbed my space shuttle away from me. And, I mean, I don't know. If it had been, like, a different game, I would have been like, well, this is stupid. And never wanted to play it again. But in that moment, it was, like, really funny. It, it was hilarious. It oh, was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it's another thing I wanted to mention where the player interaction in this game is much like Scythe. Like, you don't have to participate much in player interaction. Um, maybe it's a little more advantageous in this game to attack people because there's mm-hmm. no, like, downside to it. Except mm-hmm. for maybe, like, wasting a turn, potentially. But... Um, there was a situation where I needed to, I wanted to attack Matt because he was in the middle. Again, another scythe mechanic. Mm-hmm. It was like the factory. It gives you points for getting there. And, and, uh, so, uh, I was scared to attack him because there's trap cards in your hand. So if I attack Matt, he could have a trap card to play it and, it, and nope, I don't get to attack. So I waited and then Matt was like, yeah, I don't have a trap card. And I'm like, dang. So I built up to do it again, and this time he had a trap card. And like Justine was saying, in another game, I might be like frustrated, like, this is stupid. But 
it was fun and it was like uh, some interaction between me and Matt, this kind of like bluffing game that was happening. Mm-hmm. And even though it didn't work out in my benefit, I still had like, looking back, I was like, that's kind of fun. That's, that's a fun interaction in a game to like try to like attack people and they could block you and they're bluffing and they're trying to trick you. But yeah, there's also a card, a tapestry card that allows you to ignore trap cards, which is kind of BS, but it would have been nice in my situation. I actually don't like that aspect of the game. I think it's really bad, but that's just maybe my opinion. Uh, the one, the the, tra- the card that lets you steal people's buildings. Also, there's like kind of weird positive take that where there's a lot of cards where like you help someone by doing their tech and you get their benefit, but they get their benefit as well. So it's kind of like two people pulling ahead at the expense of everyone else. There's a lot else. of helpful. Yeah, there's yeah, a neighbors. lot of basically take that cards in the game and the trap card is one of them. It can really screw up your plans. It can take away points from you. So there's like take that in the game like outright like you lose this and it usually targets a particular person which is just i don't know i think it's funny but it's just i think to me this is definitely a game where you get done and you look at your board and at least for me like you have a story of your civilization because like each of the little buildings it doesn't matter but all the little buildings you're putting down have like a little name that tells you like what your civilization is inventing and so like I looked down at my board after one game and I realized that like my civilization had the stock market and all of this stuff but they had never actually invented language like funny things like that happen Mm -hmm. like my my civilization had bitcoin but not language so they're just buying stuff off of black (laughs) internet yeah um yeah yeah that's that's one of those Euro games where if you pay attention to the cards being played and what's happened, you could build a story and use your imagination yeah. for it. The first game I played, I think, like, we invented fire and then, like, just all military stuff after that. <laughs> it's like an inspiration. It's like, fire burns. <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> I should have probably prefaced this with uh, saying that I'm not a Meyer Games fan uh, in general, but I was just looking at the stuff, and I think the game overall was kind of a misfire for me, and actually you guys are talking about the storytelling of the game. The game, I what I don't, what is kind of a misfire for me is the game is like, you do stuff that's one time only, and that's just doesn't feel good to me. The only engine building in the game, if you think about it, is basically those tracks uh, that you get resources or points from, and that's like very simple in a way and it just doesn't feel very exciting to me well there's no choice everything really, yeah because like in most engine building games you have like cards yes put the, down. The, the cards are not the engine building really there's some engine building to do with like text which is actually probably what i like the most about the game is like my favorite thing to do is go up on the tech track because you can do interesting things with cars that actually like are kind of a delayed thing that you can fire off later and do some combos there. Everything else in the game, you go somewhere, you do something, and you never do it again, and you don't care what you've previously done. Like, there's no kind of, like, uh, arc to the game. There's no build-up. You just go do stuff, and you're done. You go do stuff, you're done. You go do stuff, you're done. And then you get to the end of the track, and you go do something, and you're done. And it's like, you know what I mean? There's no, like... There's no, like, explosion. There's no ramping up. There's just, like, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. The game's over. I don't know if they had it in their budget to make explosions. (laughs) No, I I see what what you're saying. 
Which, so it's a Civ game, you were expecting to start in the Stone Age and end up as a mega city and go to space. Uh, You were supposed to have gotten, you know, way better by the end and have exploded, and you kind of are just doing the same thing all five areas, except for you're higher up on these tracks, so you're getting a higher number of points. It's moderately explosive. I don't care about the Civ thing. Like, I don't want a Civ game to have build-up or whatever. I don't really care about that argument. Like, it's a Civ game if he says it's a Civ game. A Civ game doesn't have to, like, have particular features to me. I don't care. It's just for me personally. Like, that's why I think the game is maybe not so exciting for me is because I feel like I want my games to have, like, kind of a build-up, like, engine, something, like, that gets larger or whatever, like, your economy or something. That game, I feel like, is just, like, I mean, it does get a little bit larger because you just uncover things, but it's kind of very simplistic. Basically, you have four tracks, and they're the same every time at the top of your board. That's what I'm saying, is you, you the same track every single time. Yeah. Which is, maybe we played this the wrong way. We played it five times in a week. I think this is a game that you enjoy once every two months or something because you uncover the exact same things in the exact same order every single game. And by my third game of the week, I just, like, I knew what the red track did and it was the same thing I did last time I played and uncovered the whole red track. I think this is a Euro game, but not aimed... It's not that it's not aimed at Euro gamers. I think you really have to be able to step back and not have that um, mindset of like a Euro game. It, you, it really is like a story building game, and you have to realize that the the choices come from when do you move up the track. Like, granted, there's a lot of uh, spaces in the track where all you're doing is picking up a tech card, or um, you know putting down a house but then there's spaces where it's like when i move to this space immediately i have to choose which of my other cubes on another track i'm gonna do and i get to repeat that action um so do i want to move to that space now are any of these spaces that i could choose to repeat good enough to repeat do i want to position myself better um i think that's where the the real gameplay comes in it's a rare occasion for me where, like, I agree across the board with everything that everybody's saying. <laughs> like, I think these are all very yeah. valid points, and, I, and like, nothing you guys are saying is, like, making me scratch my head. I'm like, yeah, no, that's right, that's right. Um, especially what Matt said, I don't think this is a game that you play over and over and over again. This is not, like, a game for people yeah. that love to explore something like Terra Mystica. I don't know how much exploration... Uh, is in the game as far as depth goes. I think it's kind of fun. The first time I had a lot of fun playing it, the second time, not so much. Um, I think that Stonemeyer games in general are really good at making games that make casual gamers think that they're playing heavy games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for heavy gamers, they're going to kind of break the game or find out that there's not that much depth in it. And this is not a knock to Stonemeyer games. I think they're fun for what they are. I still like Scythe. I would say I like Scythe better than Tapestry, personally. I feel like there's more depth there. But I feel like these are great games for the next step of the next step games. You move somebody up in next step games out of gateway games, and then after that you show them some Stonemeyer games, and they're like, oh, I'm playing heavy yeah. Euro games. No, Isn't we it? were actually talking about it a while ago that... Stonemeyer has kind of replaced maybe Days of Wonder even as like you know like kind of gateway ish or like gateway yeah. plus kind of games yeah. 
where you know like they wonder if have kind of disappeared and Stonemaier is like the huge thing now a Stonemaier game gets announced and everyone's like yeah let's get it and the and, components and how pretty the game is yeah. like they follow yeah. the same re- recipe as, yeah. as Days of Wonder in that faction so, as I, think, well. so I think it's yeah. kind of taken over like that type of market which is actually I, I don't know for me the reason I actually don't like Stonemaier is not because I, I don't even know who he is or anything Jamie Stegmaier or anything uh, I feel like they get a lot of hype like a lot of hype and he's really good at that and uh the games actually i don't think they're like that good like every time i'm just like why did this game get so much hype and there's a lot of games coming out and like why aren't other people getting hype you know there's other games out there that are really good and they're like, so mediumy. it's not like exploding kittens or something which is so bad that you're like okay i guess people like bad games or something i just can't believe it's <laughs> remarkable in any way they are just like the exact yeah. middle favorite games in my collection <laughs> What I appreciate about the Stonemeyer games and like Tapestry is if we're saying that it's like a Gateway Plus game, it's a Gateway Plus game that I wouldn't hate playing. Like, if I'm going to try and like introduce someone to the hobby, you're going to start with like what, Ticket to Ride, mm-hmm. Settlers of Catan, and those games are just boring to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. slog yeah. to get yeah, and through. Stonemaier games are a lot more exciting for show. From that I perspective, I definitely agree. I would definitely rather play Tapestry yeah. than it's either a, of those games. Yeah. Great teach for its weight, too. You just have to explain some icons. I could see teaching. Oh, it is a really easy touch. teach. It's really mm-hmm. accessible because yeah. really you don't even have to teach the game. You just say you spend resources to move up on tracks. Mm-hmm. Here's what the tracks do. Lay that sheet in front of them. The and track has made all the other, decisions yeah, for you. A couple yeah. other rules, and it's like really good. Yeah. That's actually one of the positives for me as I was like struggling to find. I mean, I feel kind of average about a lot of things, but the positives I think are that it plays five people very well because it's kind of turns go really fast. Yeah. There's low mechanical kind of maintenance. You're mm-hmm. not moving too many things around the board, usually doing like one action and done. Uh, and it's very easy to teach and it's very kind of accessible in a way, even though it looks like a complex game, it's kind of not really yeah. that complex. You explain I, a few icons and I think people just get it. So you can just start playing pretty So fast. I think that answers your question of like why these games get so, first of all, the box art on a lot of these games are like, I think, draw people in. You look mm-hmm. at the box art of Scythe and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I think the art is really cool and even Tapestry looks really cool and I think just overall it's these mid-weight games that are extremely accessible as far mm-hmm. as like from the box cover goes to like kind of everything else in it and maybe Tapestry is like one of the most accessible games out of his mm-hmm. I could see myself teaching this to my family Yeah, like it, it's easy um, I would say if you're going to play a game of Tapestry bring a book because you might be the person that gets all five rounds done an hour before everybody else but yeah that that's the risk of playing it with your family like what if they just like pass with three mushrooms left over now brandon in your nightmare case where you passed an hour ahead Mm -hmm. you did get a few resources to compensate right this isn't just complete news to the designer he said the first person to pass in an era gets one resource and the first person to pass always getting those resources those six resources just didn't overcome the swell of the I, this, needs. this was not the game's fault. This was my fault thinking I could push on all the tracks and spending way too many resources way too fast and not not thinking about getting more resources through it until the end where I was like, I'm rushing this. Oh my gosh, I gotta slow down. I gotta work on 
getting more resources rather than trying to push up on these tracks as fast as possible. That's, so that was definitely my fault. That's big of you. I never take accountability. I always just blame the designer for <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about with um, Tapestry, the name went out of my head for some reason, and it's the same issue I have with Wingspan, is it is overproduced. It's like an $80 game that you could easily sell for $40 if you didn't have all of these like plastic what are they like injection the landmarks, molded oh. landmarks and the each landmarks of your, are actually each painted. of your buildings is a like injection molded mm-hmm. plastic thing and they actually kind of look silly to me I don't know if you guys think they look cool they look fine to me yeah. the buildings I, but I, I, yeah. yeah the buildings look like clay claymation that's that's what and I don't like that look actually yeah. personally but it looks I do. cool um, but I think that's a selling point unfortunately like for us euro gamers that are used to like Alea games right where it's like who cares like castles of burgundy is all beige and yeah. and it's all like really thin chits like who cares the game's great uh, so like the overproduction is not for us. It's True. not for us. But it's but other You're people right. I think are like really stoked on it. I mean, people were stoked about the eggs and wingspan. Where yeah. I'm like, why are they even different colors? It looks like Easter. I don't care about that. Like I wanted to paint them all one color because it bothered me. But yeah. <laughs> but like it, the the eggs could have been chits for me, and I and I I still would have been fine with it. Like yeah. And I I do really like the oh the, the buildings te- the sorry the oh, yeah. the big problem I have with the um, the buildings the landmarks is it's kind of hard to tell what it covers oh, and yeah. what it doesn't and yeah. what's allowed because I could fit yep. it in a way where it's not going on these there's red dots on your little player board that you cannot cover and I could I can maneuver them in a way where it's not covering the red dots. But it's not following the rules of placement. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the, their bases are not perfectly aligned. There's a little bit of space around them. They're a little bit too small, I think. So it's like, like an artistic choice. I, I would have been perfectly fine with polyomino style pieces for that. Yeah. Just or at least cardboard. the bases of them. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and just cardboard. Just cardboard, yeah. yeah. Would have been fine. It would have been easier. You know, you could have done really cool art on them. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I think it would have looked better to have cool art on a polyomino yeah. than the goofy claymation yeah. towers of rubber factory or whatever. And it I will, weird themes, too. I will say that there is a way to, like, overproduce a game in a way that is that I like. Like, all of Evil Griffin games, they're um, Vitalik oh, games. They're yeah. overproduced. Yeah, like, they're overproduced Euro Anna, games, they're right? They're just, like, really thick everything. Mm-hmm. And um, the double-A boards and meeples. Yeah. But I yeah. never end up looking at the and like these games I pay comparable prices if not more to like what I paid for Tapestry, um, but I never look at them and go, why did I pay that much money for this? Yeah, you're paying like a round a hundred bucks for um, an Eagle Griffin Vital Assert yeah. game or Railroads of the World, right? Mm-hmm. Railways of the World, mm-hmm. but you're getting more game yeah. in them first of all. And more stuff, and it's just this huge box full of yeah. really awesome components for Euro gamers. I think you know, yeah. it's like the the miniature comparison for like you know, um, uh, like dungeon crawl people for Euro gamers. The really thick everything chips yeah. and the double A board. Um, what I wanted to mention is, uh, other than the buildings, the weird decision for designing the game is I would have liked dual layer boards. They're pretty standard and work well. Uh, what they have is these like sandpaper almost feeling 
boards which are designed to make things not slide around on them but they just kind of feel like sandpaper and that's just like weird and I don't like it so much I actually um, did kind of like that I do yeah I think it's unique and I think what what Jamie Stegmaier is trying to do as far as like productions in games is like change things and do different things that nobody has done. And I haven't seen sandpaper boards before. And I thought it was neat and I didn't realize it until <laughs> I don't, I'm I don't like, think they're called sandpaper. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it feels, like, it feels like sandpaper. It's a good Fair description. Enough. It's a good description of them. They're not really sandpaper. Like you can't file your nails on them or anything. But uh, but it works. I mean, it's yeah. it, like my... My resource pieces weren't like moving around from yeah. just like bumping them. It works. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, the linen finish on their like rule books is kind of much, but like I said, like I think he's just trying to go for like really elegant everything. And dual layer boards I like more, but this is seems more appropriate for just resources. Yeah. If there's other things on it, well, there's buildings too, but I I don't feel like there's. Yeah, like if it was in, what if it was inside where saying. it was just like sandpaper boards inside, I would hate that. But in this, <laughs> like it's very simplistic, and I think it's yeah, like fine. Yeah, I, yeah and it does work. Bumping the just... table would be a huge disaster in this game. If you bumped the table really hard and they didn't have sandpaper boards and all the little cubes went off the tracks, it's game over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or your city actually is yeah. mostly yeah. where it matters. Yeah. There's no way to remember that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I do think it is freaking hilarious. That they they went all this trouble to paint all the little miniatures, to mold all the little houses, to make the sandpaper board, the linen finish on the on the rule book, and then they misprinted the back of the boards. They're upside down. Yeah, which I mean, it doesn't that matter to me. I think the biggest misprint is on one of the space tiles, oh, yeah. which I encountered and was like, "What the heck does this mean?" Um, that was a big deal. Um, you also wanted to talk about how oh, he yeah. basically released the game to have people play test it so you could change the factions i really disagree with that because you're paying 80 dollars to be a play tester whereas you might be a play tester and get the game for free he released the game and when they did it he said by the way go to this website type in what factions you played with and what the scores were and we'll release errata to fix the faction balancing issues like that to me is unacceptable yeah now, yep. maybe it's an order of magnitude problem, because if you have um, 16 different races and then, like, this many city boards and this many circumstances, when you're a playtester, I think you can only get through, like, 3,000 games tops if you want to playtest it for, like, two years or something. If you open up to the wide, wide world and sell 50,000 copies and they all play a hundred, even, like, five games each, then you're getting just orders of magnitude more data, and maybe that's what he thought he needed to balance it. It's just the attitude, though. Like, to me, because Terra well, He's a nice this. guy. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not like, playtest my game, losers. Like, <laughs> yeah. but, so Terra Mystica did this, where they had to release errata for certain races, and I... Has Guy Project done it yet? Um... Probably not. Probably not. No, but they did that not like out of the box. It was after four years yeah. of the meta evolving and evolving and evolving. But they didn't, when you were, went to buy the game, say, hey, log in and tell us your scores because we're going to fix things. They released a game that they felt was more or finished less balanced. Yeah. and more or less balanced. Like, I think there's a difference between realizing later on that there's balance issues and releasing a game that you're like, yep, there's balance issues. We'll find them out later. Uh, the problem with 
tapestry again for me for balancing tapestry is like again it's a circumstantial game first of all are you getting quality data is everyone playing right are people just typing in some bs score that like who knows if it's right or not very true uh, sources could be untrustworthy second like is there like a is there a group thing because somebody posted something on bg there's a lot of issues with like balancing this way as well and also like the game is circumstantial like maybe it's just luck that some race comes I, I don't know um i don't want the big luck to happen that early though i don't want to be dealt two sieves and have neither of them be good in terra mystica you just don't have to play the figures which were unbalanced weak out of the box whatever in this game you can be dealt two weak sieves and that's a huge problem you can just be like okay i don't want to play anymore because <laughs> i know i'm gonna lose before i've made my first action all right let's rate this piece <clears throat> yeah we're going to do a new rating system. We're just going to do from 1 to a, one to 10. Should we say 1? Some of us are using BGG guidelines. Uh, yeah, I Christo am. is. I kind of am. I'm saying that 1 is I hate I'll never play again. 10 is I want to play this game for the rest of my life. And 5 is <coughs> kind of neutral on it. Like, I'll play it if I'm forced to. Not forced to. If other people want to yeah, play it, Yeah, if other people want to play it, I'm fine with it. So that's kind of... And then everything in between. Uh, let's start with... Here. All right, I'm looking at the BG ratings, and actually, again, uh, pet peeve. I think before you go rate the game of BG, you should read what they are. So I would say for me, the game is a four, not so good, but could play again. Um, that's kind of how I felt about the game. is very kind of just average to like slightly below average. Kind of that's just the way I feel about that game. There's kind of no two ways about it. Uh, like Wingspan, like some other games I've played from him, um, or from Stonemaier. Uh, the first time I played the game, very exciting, a lot of discovery. I want to do the other stuff that I didn't do. The second time I play, kind of less excitement, and the more I play, the, the more the excitement drops, and I think that's kind of this the way this game has been for me. The first couple of games, I had a lot of fun, then it just kind of like just kind of went down, and I feel like even if you win, it kind of feels a little bit undeserved, just because there's so many like just kind of random elements. Uh, in in the game so i could play this game if people really want to play it i probably will not suggest it that's just my feeling about it i agree with all of his games having the first play being the most fun and getting less and less after that my rating is oh i have to think about this i'd say it's probably a six i mean i actually really enjoyed it i will definitely play it again if other people so maybe it's a seven uh, <laughs> okay, we'll play if the mood. Okay, uh, no, I think it's definitely a six. It's it's okay. I will play it if I'm in the mood to play it. Um, I might be in the mood to play it more often than other people. I didn't think it was such a bad game, but I do think there are some issues. Okay, so no one actually does this on BGG. Every game falls between ten is so good and eight is really bad. So in practice, this is an eight point oh five. It is better than Anachrony and less than Castles of Mad King Bloodvig on my list. So, thumbs down, 8.5. You mean it's not a 10? I would like to play this game, yeah. which is what all the yeah, which is what people are. do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 10, I would like to play this. Yeah. Or like, a, like Yelp, like, like this, this place is awesome, one star. <laughs> Um, I, I'm with Justine. Mine's a six as well, and I'm going by the actual BGG yeah. like system. Um, it's okay, and I will play if I'm in the mood. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
I think that sums it up for me. Mm-hmm. So that was our feelings on Tapestry. Next up is our board game discussion. The topic is technological advancements in board games. Okay, so technological advancements in board games. Um, some very easy ones that come to mind is like apps and board games. There's some other things that are potentially happening in the future. But we shouldn't forget that this is not the first time this has happened. We've seen this in the board gaming world before. And as I, when I say we, I think I mean just Americans because Christo was saying that he didn't see a lot of these in Europe. Um, the advent of actually the microprocessor in the 1970s is what kind of pushed companies to include some technological advances in toys as well as board games. Now, I would assume that the boom of the 80s video games also helped push this because board games are now probably being shelved. And so to make them more interesting and seem more futuristic, like the 80s was very obsessed with, I think they started integrating these, these advancements in it. The first one was in 1977. It was called Codename Sector. It was published by Parker Brothers and was designed by Robert Doyle, who would later bring us a game that we now know because of Restoration Games. He did Stop Thief. He also did um, the uh, Electronic Battleship. And he did a game called PEGS, which is actually an acronym for Parker Electronic Game System. Uh, it was just like pegs you put in a board, kind of like um, Battleship, and it had like 15 games in it. Um, a couple of notable electronic board games that followed starting in the 80s was Dungeons & Dragons Computer Labyrinth Game, 1980. Uh, there's going to be... <laughs> a lot of these electronic games have ridiculous names. Um, then in 1981, the Dark Tower, which mm-hmm. uh, which Restoration Games is gonna is it's on Kickstarter now. They're gonna put out an, another version of that. Monopoly released an electronic accessory in 1982 called Monopoly Playmaster, which was a computerized device that allowed players to roll electronic dice, keep track of player movements, and handle property auctions and mortgages. Um, I looked at this. I looked at a video for this. It has a die in the middle of it. It looks like a mini board that you put on the Monopoly board, and it has a die in the middle. You press the die, and then it lights up the space in which your your player is going to go to. So you don't even it have has, to count. It has the full board around it. it has the full board around it. You know what I hate it. about Monopoly? And it lights up the space like... so it knows... What player's out turn what it is? Space is seven paces ahead. <laughs> it it knows what player's turn it is, and so you would press it, and it would roll the dice, and then it would make certain noises for like auctions and whatnot. The most annoying thing that I found in the comments was that it would play the song and the very electronic yeah. version of the song. Yeah. I've been working on the railroad. Every time somebody landed on the railroad space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, Okay, then we get into the 1990s, which is territory that I think we are probably more familiar yeah. with. Um, electronic Mall Madness. Uh-huh. It was a 3D mall. It was amazing. And it was like a shopping spree. It was a race to like get everything on your list. Uh, but the main thing was like money management as far as race. Because 
you would press the button on your turn and it would tell you how many moves you're taking and it would also say, there's a sale at the shoe store. <laughs> so you put a little cardboard chit on the, uh-huh. on the shoe store uh-huh. that's like sale or clearance and they're constantly moving around so you're trying to get to it. The funniest part about it is you have a credit card and money. The credit card is not money. You could bo- go pull out money out of the, out of the bank. Um, but when you buy something, you put in the credit card and it'll tell you, sometimes it'll tell you, sorry, we're out of stock. And you could only go to a store like once per game. Uh-huh. I think you could only buy from once per game. They're like, try again later. <laughs> so it's very random and awful. Um, if I remember right, the, the credit cards were like cardboard. There wasn't anything. I think they're cardboard. They're, they're, they were reading anything. It was just pressing a button. It was pressing in, a button uh, yeah. in the slot. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't the, the technological advancement in or, it was just it talked. Yeah. Or it would tell you like... You know, you'd push it and it would be like, that'll be $200. And then you had to, like, pay the $200. Yeah, yeah. or so there's a special sale. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it told you the price because the prices are on the board. Of oh, like, okay. Yeah, what you can buy and if it's the sales price. Um, then a year later, electronic talking, electronic talking dream phone, which was pretty much a dating game version of Guess Who?, like, you you have a phone that talks to you, and it's like, your guy does not have blonde hair. So you cross out all the guys that have blonde hair. I played both of these in my 20s. My <laughs> friend Danielle had both games, and I was like, let's play them. I never played them. I remember seeing the ads for them when I was a kid. So um, uh, we were drinking, and it was fun yeah. because of that. Yeah. <laughs> the store one sounds pretty bad, but actually the deduction one doesn't sound that bad, to be honest, because that's actually what I was going <laughs> to talk about is like uh, hidden information and and apps and that's kind of what that is yeah it's like the the device is holding information from you and telling you clues about it and you're trying to find out stuff so i think that yeah it's proto alchemists yeah pretty much yeah 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 i mean that's that's like yeah that's what it is it's just like the beginning version of like what we now know as maybe alchemists or uh whatever something some other game um, a, a year after that, in 1992, the Omega virus, which was designed by the same guy that did Mall Madness and Dream Phone, possibly to have a new electronic board game for boys. Um, Clue FX came out in 2003. Uh, basically, the Mall, uh, like Mall of Madness, it had a 3D talking board. Um, okay, but let's not forget about at the same time, VHS had a boom. And there was actually VHS board games, which was almost like app-driven games today in a weird way. Do you know anything about Clue, uh, Clue FX, by the way? I'm curious, what, what is there to talk about in that game? Like, what does it tell you? Because, like, that's weird. I don't know. Maybe I'll look into it. That is weird. That was one that I just passed over and I huh. didn't look into okay. it. Most of these games, like, I looked at ads for yeah. them and commercials. That's when I didn't. Uh, because, yeah, the information is supposed to be hidden, so if it's talking and telling everyone, that could be <laughs> yeah, really bad. Like, maybe it's a different integration. Well, maybe it's just for know. fun, like, oh, you enter the whatever room, and, like, I don't know, maybe it's that kind of a thing. Maybe So, it's one of the game. first um, uh, VHS board game was Clue VHS Mystery Game, 1985. You are watching a movie. You're watching, like, a very bad, like, BBC-type movie. Mm-hmm. And you're just, like, looking for certain things, and then it'll ask you, like... that you're Then you're playing the game just like regular Clue, but it has, like, you're watching a story unfold. So, 
were those VHS games, were they more like the unlocks in that you could only really play them once? Because, like, VHSs don't really have a choose-your-own-adventure ability. It's a tape that goes this way, and it goes that way. Fast forward 45 right. seconds. Um, <laughs> kind of. Um, some of these games, okay, so Candyland was the next one, 1986. It's called Candyland VHS Board Game. Um yeah, you'll see a lot of these games are called VHS board game or VHS, VCR board game. Um, this one was like a matching speed game where you're watching the video and then like a card would come on, like a colored card, and people are trying to grab the card that they see. So, yeah, if you play this enough, you'll memorize yeah. what cards are coming up and just hover over the green card, right? But it's for kids, so... yeah. Um, uh, it was Shoots and Ladders did the same thing, but it was with numbered cards instead. Uh, Doorways to Avenues was a VHS bidding board game. Um, then they had VHS 221B Baker Street, which was like you're following Holmes and Watson and you're watching the video and then it would come up and be like, what happened here? A or B or whatever. Like you would choose... That, I don't feel like there's a lot of replayability to that. The big one was Nightmare slash Atmosphere, uh, the video board game, 1991, which was a race to get six keys and then get out of Nightmare Square. The first to get this, to have this happen, wins. If nobody makes it by the tape's end, the gatekeeper won. The tape was a timer, like literally oh, okay. a timer that was counting up to 60 minutes, which... Seems like bad, like why wasn't counting down? But it's counting up to 60 minutes with like a moon in the background and creepy noises and creepy sounds. And then the gatekeeper would come on very abruptly and say, whose turn is it? You must now roll a D6 before you can take your turn. Or you you must now roll a 6 before you can take your turn. (laughs) Very trolly things happening, which probably didn't feel very great. Mixing the worst part of an unlock, that annoying phone going on the whole time, with... Your turn elimination. Yeah. I was actually, I actually, that's the one thing from Brandon's list that I have uh, experience with because uh, when I when he said VHS board games, I was like, oh, that's weird. I've never seen that happen before. So I went on YouTube and just typed in like I don't know, like VHS board games. The first hit I think was Atmosphere, mm-hmm. or at least like one of the first. It was the most interesting one, and it's like it's almost like abusive. Like <laughs> yeah. abusive. that's that's what they're going for. It's like he's like he's talking to you like you're in boot camp or something. He, he comes on the screen, and he's like. All right, maggots! Like you're gonna listen to me now, and you're gonna respond with uh, "Yes, Mr. Gatekeeper" or something, and you have to like mm-hmm. say it every time. And like the first event, it's like an event trigger, basically. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's really loud, and it's like, yeah. "Stop playing now! Whose turn is it?" or something. Uh, did you respond with Mr. Gatekeeper? Yes, Mr. Gatekeeper. And uh, if you don't respond with Mr. Gatekeeper, like your turn is skipped or something. Yeah. And it's like all these like terrible things that were happening in the tape. Like, you, whoever's turn it is, roll a die. That is how many turns you'll lose. <laughs> yeah. So as far as replayability goes, like it's going to be somebody else's turn every time, most likely. Yeah. You know, so there's some replayability. I think it's like sounds horrible. I've never played this game, but I think you're just playing a roll and move game, whatever. Yeah, yeah that's what it sounded like. And to add in like thematic ties to it, they have this person interrupting and scaring you and going, Oh no, what is he gonna do to you? Oh no, it's my turn, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. The funny part is that they came out with a nightmare or atmosphere, um two, three, and four, but 
with different looking interrupting heads for each game. The the funniest thing is they made a Star Trek version of this game. It's it, I mean they don't call it like mm-hmm. Nightmare Atmosphere. This is the name. This is literally the name. Star Trek: The Next Generation Interactive VHS Board Game, a Klingon Challenge. Cool. That's Some that is. <laughs> That was yeah, like 80s the, or 90s. 93. 90s. Sting Gak. And it was like, <laughs> it was like exactly like, uh, except for you're on the Enterprise. And it, it's the same exact game as Nightmare, except you have a Klingon now interrupting saying, who's the crew member moving now? Answer me, human. You're being transported to the brig. Well, you'll remain for one minute. <laughs> Why were they like, I don't know, I mean, I guess those were the sound games, but like, it's just kind of funny that it's like interrupting you to do bad things to you. That's, that's what it's supposed to be thematic. I think that's it. That's the only like reason for it. I guess in those games on, in one hand would be really good for some of our friends that suffer from AP because it's like, you don't want that to come on during your turn. That's true. It's like, it's like encourages you to go because it's like a hot potato type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want it to be your turn when he yeah. comes on. Yeah. You know it's coming, so you're like, done, so like done, done, die, and you're like, crap, 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 crap. <laughs> so I would imagine it creates a lot of anticipation, uh-huh. right? Uh, uh, not anticipation. Um, it creates like kind of this nervous feeling yeah. throughout the game uh, tension. Um, so I think back then it was probably cool. They did release them with DVDs when we moved to DVDs, and now if you don't have a DVD player or a VHS player. They're like all on YouTube. Yeah. Like I watched a lot of them. Not I didn't watch. Watch I didn't all. Watch all. I just like watched little like clips of of each of them. Yeah. They actually had a a mother goose one called Hi Ho Mother Goose, <laughs> right? Where it was like you know the the card game Mother Goose. Uh-huh. So it was like that, but like uh, instead of the like card being pulled, it's like she. It would go into this like semi animated uh, nursery rhyme, which was crazy because at like four years old I had this game. And I completely forgot about it until I, like, accidentally stumbled upon it on YouTube. And I watched it, and all these memories came up. And I remember I didn't play the game at four years old. I just put on the tape because I liked the nursery rhymes. <laughs> and I think this drove my mom to alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> so so now, now, in 2019, we have almost similar things happening, but a lot better, right? We have app integration, uh-huh. mostly app integration. Now... Looking at history and with the notion that history may repeat itself, is this another trend that's like coming through and trying to make board games more excited for like the video game crowd or people that aren't into video games or people that might be getting tired of regular board games? Um, And is it going to be a phase that will fade out? I wonder. I think so. um, Alchemists. No, that's not true. Alchemists was like our first experience with like a good board game like a board game board game Uh that has that app integration and i know when matt and i first got into the hobby we saw it and we immediately passed over it because you're like oh this is stupid why would you integrate an app into a board game Mm -hmm. but then going back and actually playing it like no it's necessary the app like unless you want someone to have to sit out yeah it comes with a it it comes with like a, a chart a pyramid chart where somebody not playing the game you could show them two cards and they could follow the chart and tell them mm-hmm. the ingredient in a mix. And you know, uh, I don't know who would play that part actually, portion of the game. You know what I think turned us off to it was that when it first came out, 
it, the app was only available on iTunes, and Matt and I are Android people. Mm. So, like, we didn't have access to the app. That is extremely weird because I think it was probably more popular. I don't know, actually, at the time when it came out, what was more popular. But that seems like really bad miss on their part because yeah. it's like cutting out half the people pretty much. The, the, the unlock games are fine with the apps. You know, like, it, it serves its purpose. I don't know... They could still do it without an app. I was going to say, the Unlocks games for me, actually, I was thinking about, are they good, are they bad? Like, I kind of have, like, a good, bad list for apps. And I mm-hmm. think some of them were good, some of them were bad. Actually, I don't like, I didn't like the 8-bit one so much uh, because of the app, maybe. Uh, there was probably too much app. Another bad Unlock app was, like, the Monster one, which have Night of the Boogeyman. Night of the Boogeyman. Shahrazad as well. Yeah. Like, if there's a lot of game happening on the app, and some unlocks actually have a lot of the game happening on the app, like the 8-bit one had, like, uh, AR stuff, like uh, you look through your phone and some stuff appears or whatever, spoilers. Yeah, and uh, and Night of look... the Boogeyman had, like, a weird, like, you have to press this button, like, every five seconds to reset yeah. the stupid monster. Yeah, that was uh, Shahrazad had, like, a thing puzzle. where, like, there's thing. an entire... A little mini game. Yeah, a little mini game, and it actually took a long time to figure that mini game out, which was entirely on the phone, like no cards whatsoever. So I think that's like kind of the unlocks, which I kind of don't like the app so much. The one I do, the ones I do like the app are probably like the ones that are like more of the stuff is happening on the cards, and the app is just kind of checking it's the an score. Aid. It's an aid. Yeah, it's kind of check the score once in a while, check what's happening. That's so they're kind of a mix for me, actually. The unlocks. Yeah, Alchemist, I think, is probably the best example of yeah. how you should use apps in games because it's just you just scan two cards and it gives you an element. Yeah, and yeah, you could use you could pass a phone. You could all use your own personal phone. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, Alchemist is an example of where uh, what the app is doing is hiding information from you. And I think that's a very interesting concept. Another app that does this in a weird way is like a Mask of Anubis or Mask of Moai as well. Uh, There's this game where the game is basically someone looking into a phone and you can kind of look around. It's kind of really cool. It's like VR, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, the phone is a VR object. And you put on a mask and you slot the phone inside the mask. So you look at like a VR representation of a maze. And you try to describe the maze to people. And the, ma- the people are trying to actually reconstruct the maze on paper. And there's several people who look at different vantage points in the maze. And you have to reconstruct all the elements and basically connect everything together in the end. Uh, that was very unique and kind of interesting. And I think that's a good example of like... Like where, like the gameplay is kind of happening on the app, but like not exactly, and it has like information that you're trying to reconstruct on the board game, which is kind of what Alchemist is really is like. The app has information, and you're trying to get it out, like by it giving you clues about things. So I think that's a very cool way to use apps in board games is like have them hide something from you that you need to find out through talking about it, reconstructing it, playing some kind of a game. I think with that VR game, and once if we push really on the heavy side of, of like this digital world we have available to us now, 
it gets further and further away from what I consider just a tabletop game. Yeah. If you're looking through a VR and you're like writing stuff down that they see and trying to figure things out, it sounds like an awesome game. Mm-hmm. But does it sound like a board game? Yeah, that's to what me? I was thinking. It doesn't sound like a board game. And can you do it through a board game? No. So I'm glad that it exists. But yeah, it's so a board game. You, I don't like decisions to be made while I'm looking at the screen. I like the decisions to be made while I'm looking at the component. Another exactly. one is. Um, Chronicles of Crime, which is it uses like a VR thing as well. You could just look at your phone, or you can get the the VR component yeah. to it to put it on and like actually on your face, like on yeah. your eyes, yeah. Um, and that game has a car, has cards, has boards, which are locations, and it, and you you scan codes. Um, and then if you scan a location, you can look around at some of these locations while somebody is looking around. Basically, they're telling you what you see, and you're going through carts, trying to pull like things that they see, and then scanning those to see if they're relevant. I hated this game, personally, mm-hmm. because it felt very much like this could have just been an app game, like mm-hmm. an in-app game. Like Some people might have liked the cards and the actual feel, the physical feel, and like the combination of both, but for me, it just seemed like an annoyance of having to keep track of all these cards and scan things, scan this card and then scan this person, and then who hold, holds the phone, who gets to look. It just seemed kind of messy, maybe fine as a solo game, but to me it just like took me like out of what board games make me feel. And it felt like I was playing a video game with my friend. That should be an outright computer game, then. That's yeah, I, I think it should be. Uh, I was going to say, actually, the difference between Chronicles of Crime and Mask of Anubis is one of them, Mask of Anubis, is designed so the game design is so that only one person is supposed to look at the thing and the other people are supposed to like figure it out. So it's like completely different. Chronicles of Crime, you both want to look at the same thing and there's one phone. So I almost feel like it should be like either like networked phones or something so you can both use your own phone to look at the same scene so you don't have to like fight over the same phone or basically just take out the board game and just play it through the phone yeah, completely. There's, there's no mechanic of telling you to pass the phone either. It's all up to the players. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you both want to look at the same scene, which is pretty bad as far yeah. as this game Yeah, I think ha- having a connection of like, I mean, like, you guys are both at the crime scene, so like, what am I, closing my eyes while you're looking around? I'm like, I don't want to see blood. Just <laughs> yeah. tell me what's, just tell tell me what's around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just kind of bad. By the way, to Brandon's point, uh, we're making fun of, like, atmosphere. We're not making fun, but it's like, oh, it's so stupid but there's uh, Space Alerts or actually Zombie 15 is another game which does this thing where there's a soundtrack basically happening and you can play it through an app or you can play actually a CD or whatever and uh, they're real time games and there's timed events and I think that's a really cool use of actually that kind of style of gameplay. Of course the events are not like oh you lose five turns. (laughs) The events are kind of like in Space Alert it's like Invader shows up in Sector 3 or something and you have to deal with it. Or something malfunctions. Or like you have to exchange, you may exchange cards now, like information exchange in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So you can like exchange cards. And it's a real-time game and it works really well. Actually, it's a really good game, I think, uh, as far as real-time games go. Zombie 15 is kind of very similar. uh, It's a real-time zombie game. We haven't played it. Um, But what the soundtrack does is like there's a growl or something at random times and 
and the zombie gets the zombie horde gets dumped on somebody. So they other people have to like come and save them and like shoot the zombies off and whatever. And they get put in a box and obviously like the next growl like they get dumped on someone else. So it's kind of like uh, I think that's that mechanic is actually pretty fun and I think it works really well when implemented well. I think Atmosphere and all the all the other games like had really negative things and just bad things happening to you and that was the style of games that, at that time. But I think that there's nothing wrong with the idea, actually. The idea is pretty cool. I think it's interesting that we're coming back to these ideas, is that these are ideas that started in their little baby forms in like the 90s, the 70s, First 80s, 90s. tragedy, mm-hmm. now as farce. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, back then, like, we really just had, like you said, the microprocessor. We didn't have these, you know, basically computers in our hands. Right. Like, our phones are more advanced than computers were back then. Um, and so now, like, we've got the technology and we're kind of starting to see it used. And I think it's going to be the same thing as back then, is there were times where the way that it was used was kind of cool and neat. Um, for what the technology that was available then was, it's going to be the same thing for us now, is there's going to be ways where we use the apps and integrate it really well, and there's going to be really dumb ways. Yeah, I agree. I think like uh, 10 to 30 years from now, we'll look back on the games that integrate with with apps and, and certain things of that nature and kind of laugh at it. You know, there might be a podcast 30 years from now that, that are adjacent to us and just like, we're like, let me list off some things that were happening in 2019. <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, I think it's like we've gotten, we've progressively gotten better. And here's the thing about all the technological advances in board games. I'm not protesting it. I'm not saying every, these need to stop. I would if it was the only things coming out. Yeah. But there's not. There's just regular board games that don't have anything that of that nature integrated into it. And I could always play those games. And I think that we'll hopefully always have those types of games. I just think that it might be another branch off of board games like Dungeon Crawls and Social Deduction games. It just might turn into its own category by itself. And you either like them or you don't. Or you can dabble in them. You know? I think for me it's something that... like. When one of these new games come out, I might want to go try it to see every once in a while what they've done and see if it's working for me. And if not, step back aside, play yeah. the games that I like, and check in every once in a while. I think they could start integrating some really cool, necessary things into board games, and we've gotten them here and there. So like, I think checking up on it for me is the way that I'm going to um, go about this whole thing. I think so too. Yeah, I don't think we're in danger of every game having an app. I think that's a slippery slope, like yeah. you said. Yeah. To Matt's point, though, those games kind of don't feel like traditional board games a lot of the time. They're kind of starting to bridge the gap between like couch co-ops or something, you know, like whatever. Uh, they're they're not like a lot of them are not like Euro games really. Um, I haven't seen like other than maybe Alchemist, mm-hmm. which is even that is kind of feels just different from like you know like Terra Mystica or something or like a Euro game. I haven't seen like a really good implementation of an app for like a really serious game maybe uh, yet that I that you wouldn't I call Alchemist that I can think of. Um, I would, but it's like different. Like it's a different game. It's it's weird. I can't describe it. You know, like a lot of the Euro games or something. You're like calculating numbers. Research 
resources, conversions, whatever. In Alchemist, it's like all about the deduction yeah. kind of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. which kind of makes it feel a little bit different in a good way, maybe. Yeah. It's a, in a very good way. Uh, but it, it is kind of a different vibe, I think, that you get out of that game as opposed to... Something that I wanted to bring up that um, is, a, is a knock, another knock against this, this technology... <laughs> this technology thing. Well, first of all, this like, technology thing is ruining <laughs> our lives. <laughs> Sorry. Um, first of all, I think a lot of us play board games to unplug, mm-hmm. put those phones in our pockets, and just like be with the people we're in front of and and yeah, and play so these physical games. Another problem is that your phone has a battery life. <laughs> that is and probably random. And if your too. phone hasn't been charged, or you've been using it all day and haven't been home to charge it, or whatever, and you show up to board game night and you and you're going to play a board game that requires an app, there's that problem, which we did encounter with Meeple Circus. I think Meeple Circus is a cool game, and it has an app, and you need the app because not only is it a timer. But there's clapping where you need to do silly things, and there's uh, it splashes. The, it has a soundtrack events kind of a thing. Soundtrack events. Like yeah. timed yeah. events where you have to do certain things. Yeah, and and so without it, you couldn't play. And, like, one of our phones was dead. Two of our phones were near dead. And so we just, like, skipped it. Although we did end up playing Mystery House with the with the app. Um, and like we were on two timers. One timer was on the actual app. The other timer was the battery life. Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Phone. <laughs> and we ended up having to plug the phone in because yeah, we ended up having the battery life in. ran out. Yeah. To be fair, we did go over like twice the allotted time of the game. So yeah, we were yeah, like for two hours. We'll, like, we'll end up we'll, talking yeah, about we'll that talk. game, and we haven't played the second scenario, so we're gonna hold off on 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 talking about it until then. Yeah. But that is just the problem with with. Um, electrical devices in general, yeah. you know. I mean, board games you need light, but you can go outside when, when the sun is out and play them. And uh, if the power goes out, maybe candlelight for some games. I actually we tried. Remember the power went out when we were playing Lords of Hellas at my house. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and we yeah. tried candlelight, and there's just no way happening. Yeah, you could try it. We you could do it with a, with a stronger light. I think like a flashlight, flashlight, or yeah, or whatever. Like a really yeah, powerful maybe. flashlight hanging or something. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this was a problem back in like the 70s, 80s, 90s as well. Like this Mall Madness game was a big thing, and I don't remember how much it cost. Like I don't buy it, mm-hmm. but. Um, I mean, once that processor went out, once the speakers went out, like, you had a useless hunk of plastic. Yeah. I think they're built pretty strong. I'm only assuming this because my friend had it, like, years later. Yeah. Uh, 20 years later? No, no, no. 10. 10. Like, 10, 15 years later. But how much did she play it? I don't know. Uh, also, I'm sure they take batteries, and you have to replace them. So yeah, yeah. I was gonna say actually that doesn't bother me so much. I mean, if you're worried about battery life, we should start bringing like a battery, basically, or like a charger. I, yeah, I have a portable I think charger. That's kind of not. The I issue. don't prepare for it because we don't play a lot. Yeah, of yeah, games, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, And that was it. Yeah, yeah like. Like, I think uh, somebody could be screaming at their speakers right now, like, just prepare. <laughs> I know. You know like, yeah, it's, it's not really an issue for me. But to your point, uh, the games are about uh, getting together with people and talk to people. And that's actually the, the, the use cases that I like the most is where they don't, like, take away FaceTime 
from you. They usually do either something on the audio side. I think that's a really good use of board of uh, apps or just mm-hmm. electronic stuff is like the audio side. Like actually, or or game facilitation stuff. Um, as an example, actually, I have like Weird Words. Weird Words is a, a really good use for the app because mm-hmm. same thing as Alchemist. Like who would do that job? It has to be a person. So it's great that there's an app that tells you like close your eyes, like look at the mm-hmm. word and blah blah. So in regular Werewolf, there is the the moderator, yeah, or which is running the game, which is pretty boring. Some people like doing time. it, but if you're in a group where like everybody wants to participate in the game. You run that problem, which yeah. Werewolf has an app too that you can just use and yep. and, and tells you the script and everything. So yep. yeah, I think that is a good integration into those types of games. So like facilitating your games, like yeah. Letter Jam, the app is not done yet, but when it's done, like you don't have to wait for five minutes for everyone to make up some weird word at the beginning. You can oh. just like start playing. So like facilitating games, like scoreboards, kind of stuff, audio stuff. I actually didn't mind the voice acting in Monochrome Inc. For example, I think that's a good use. So the app, the game is like not good, but like the app part was actually really good. I think like it works fine. You type in a code and it like tells you stuff. And mm-hmm. I think voice acting is a really good use for uh, an app. I talked about the Kickstarter where like you can connect the app with like the lighting of the room or whatever. There's a light bulb that changes the color depending on what's happening in the game. That's I think really that's cool. I think that's like kind of enhancing the atmosphere around you where it mm-hmm. doesn't take away your face time and it doesn't make you look at the screen. All of those games are like really good use cases for apps, yeah. I think. Uh, or facilitating the game so somebody doesn't have to do some kind of a lame job of like close your eyes or like tells you like mm-hmm. intersections of elements in an alchemist. I think my consideration when I'm thinking about whether an app integrates well into a game is to me it's the same thing as um, was it a gimmick that you put in the game because you wanted an app integration mm-hmm. or was it something that you were like, oh, this would be really cool if we could make this work in the game. How am I going to make this work? Oh, an app could do it well. Like I feel like that's how Alchemists. I'm not sure. I don't know the whole story of how it was designed. But to me it seems very much like they had this table and they were like, this could be really cool. How are we going to make it so people get to play this? Oh, well, we could make an app that would do it for you. Yeah. Rather yeah, than. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at like uh, Mansions of Madness, where like you pretty much, ha- you, not pretty much, you have to have like a tablet or something running the game. Uh, I played it once and the, the tablet was running the game for you. Like you move to a space. Uh, if there's a token there, you press the token on the board, and then it tells you what's happening. Like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it is a video game, and we're using a board in the video game. And some yeah. people really like that a lot. Like, they think, what a great app. I'm not the person that likes that. I agree with Christo, where if it's, like, changing your atmosphere or making the game easier for you or hiding information, that's where these these apps shine for me. I think an app that could, like change the light bulb color for what's happening like that sounds really cool to me um how many times am i going to play a game like that probably not a lot but like situational like if they can make a horror game like that that it's a thematic it's a thematic horror game yeah Yeah. and and, and it could more immerse me into it um yeah without like staring at a screen uh yes I, i would definitely say yes there is a board coming out um, like that you can put underneath the tiles of like say Zombicide and it will like monitor where you're at where the zombies are at 
and then you just like press the app and it like tells you what's happening. Uh, you're on this space and then it, the, the, the mat will interact with the app and tell you what happens. Again, for people that like uh, Mansions of Madness, I think this is going to be a great innovation for them. I'm not excited at all for it. It sounds cool. Again, I think right now we're sort of figuring out what we can do with our technology that we have today. Yeah, How can exactly. we put them into board games? Some people are forcing them, I feel like, yeah. and it doesn't work well. And some people are being enlightened by them and going, oh, we could use this to our advantage yeah, exactly. and do this. And I think that's where it shines. Uh, I was actually thinking about a really cool use case for board games. I don't think it's been done before, or maybe it has. I don't know if that's what U-Boot is, kind of. But there's a game that I saw on Kickstarter. It's a PC game, but I think the integration is basically should be a board game. Uh, what it is, is you're a general and you're sitting in a tent and you're hearing radio reports from people in the field uh, soldiers like unit 5 taking fire from the northwest or something over radio and you're giving them commands over the radio so I think this is like a really cool idea to have a board game where people collaborate in like a war room or something and all the communication is done through radio which is yap yeah it's called Captain Sonar uh, that's the thing is actually you could I was actually thinking you could make Captain Sonar a co-op game of four people going through scenarios run by an app yeah. that's actually yeah. a really cool idea as well basically have the app tell you like there's a ship coming in blah 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 and you have to like still play the Captain Sonar game of like the things breaking down or whatever and firing but uh there's a nap instead of an opposing team that would actually maybe like with, a, camp with a campaign I think that would make the game really cool actually mm -hmm. I think that's a really good expansion idea I was thinking about that as well but I think that system has a lot of potential there was a PC game where you could like talk to your units uh, same concept you could make the app with like voice recognition and like someone like someone move somewhere or whatever and we actually play like a board game uh, on the side I think that could be really cool so our final thoughts for this like for me like I said I'm not going to protest it I'm, but I'm not going to be all in and participate on everything that comes out that has like advancements in, in it um, I'll check back here and there to see if there's cool things that uh, apply to, to my gaming but like yeah. overall like I, I predict that it's going to branch off into its own thing and I'm going to mainly just stay where I'm at. I used to be really against uh, apps uh, because of the reason that mostly Brandon said uh, I felt like they take away FaceTime and I felt like I kind of don't want to play a video game or play a board game for a reason. Uh, but I think I found use cases which I really like. So I've kind of warmed up to specific use cases again where it's either audio or like it hides something from you or something that like kind of enhances the game but it doesn't take away from the fact that you're playing like a game with people and it's mostly like not so digital it's a little bit digital but not so much i think it's really important as you're designing the game not to force an app in with if it doesn't need an app i'm kind of in the same boat as brandon i think um, I might dabble in these kind of games here and there just to see what's up, what's happening, but I don't think it's going to be like a regular thing I look for. They just seem gimmicky. They seem like they have a low ceiling to me, so like I will play them here or there, but like none of my top 45 games I'm sure have apps in them. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so that was our board game topic. Next, we will get into our top three dexterity games. All right, now it's time for our top three favorite dexterity games. <clears throat> what What's a dexterity game? I think it's any game that requires... The dexterity. It's any game that requires the definition of dexterity. dexterity. What's the definition of dexterity? I think it's like just use of your hands or being good with your hands, right? Yeah. I think the most common games are actually flicking or stacking. That's what I was going to say, too. Flicking or stacking. Yeah. There's, There's some other weird games out there, but flicking or stacking are the huge ones. Yeah. They yeah. want to be a miniaturized sport, for instance, pickleball or smash ball or something. You guys didn't let me include nuts so fast. You guys thought that was more of just like there, a sport. When you yes. say you guys, it's just me. Uh, there's actually <laughs> like a speed game. Not so that's, fast that like was my argument game. with there is the dexterity element of being quick with your hands, but I think it's just like, you're right, it is like dexterity. But I think it has its own subgenre of speed games because there's card games which do the same thing, which you wouldn't probably include in dexterity. So speed, no balance, flicking, yes. Flicking, actually, flicking is just like grabbing; it's just the other direction. Well, I was actually no. wondering about. I was actually wondering about. Uh, I was wondering about That's not so fast. I would argue not so. I would argue not so fast could be like a dexterity game. Actually, I was wondering about speed games. Are they dexterity? You can actually take it pretty broadly out there. Like uh, Tokyo Highway is like a dexterity game. It has dexterity game component, but I don't know if it's very strong. I think I think the answer is yes, but I think they're a subgenre. Yeah, yeah, that's like, just like that. Yeah, um, just like anyway. We won't go yeah. too much into that. Um, so. Volleyball. We've joked before. Risto plays volleyball. We joke that he's going to play a dexterity game. That's not a lie, but I think again, sports is its own genre yeah. of games, um, and they don't relate to. I think dexterity games is something you play on a tabletop, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I play racquetball, I mean, but I'm not going to have racquetball as the, my number one dexterity fun, game. The funny thing is, I think it's also about scale, because, like, pool. Like, pool is kind of a dexterity game. Like, I don't know, like, is golf a dexterity game as well? Like, it's, Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It's just larger but scale. But we're talking about, yeah, tabletop versions yeah. of that. Yeah. But I left off some that were, like, those types of games, those types of sports games miniaturized. You know, like, there's, like, foosball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's also Clask. Yep. And bonk, and I didn't include those on my list because I feel like they're like different. Yeah, they're different. It doesn't feel like a board game. It feels like one of those um, like, like foosball but shrunk. Yeah, and yeah. like so, I, I will note like I like bonk, I like clask a lot, and I, I even left games. tumbling oh, dice games. off because like that also kind of feels like I that thought type about of game. tumbling dice. I just didn't include it because it's not my top three, but I think yeah. it qualifies. I think it's a dexterity game. Yeah, I, I do too. But again, it feels almost like. Dexterity game adjacent. Yeah. Like it feels just a little different. It's almost like a game you play in a bar or something is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like shuffleboard or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that. So, like, mine are just, like, darts. what I think of as, as like, dexterity tabletop board games. <laughs> That's how I made my list. Yep. Yeah. Um, I made my list very much the same way. Uh, I went through the top games. Uh, you will not see too many flicking games on my list just because I'm kind of bad at them. That's yeah. all I wanted to say is I kind of... There, there are some really good games out there like High School, Catacombs, Flick'em Up, Crokinole, 
those are like the huge ones that are like I think really well designed uh, flicking games. I'm just really bad at flicking yeah. games, so you won't see see any flicking games on my list. Exactly here. <laughs> I'm you in the only same see position. Games on mine. <laughs> I'm not good at flicking games. And yeah, and they're not as fun as if you're not good at them. I found because you kind of need to make the shots. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> there's not yeah. much there. Playing ice pool and being there's so stuck much in lower the, room. the learning curve than like in pool, though. Like. <laughs> All right, so I'll start with my number three. My number three is ice cool. Um, ice cool has a, a dumb theme on it. It's a play on words. Ice cool, high school. Um, you're just like flicking penguins getting away from the hall monitor you take turns being the hall monitor who's trying to flick the penguins and take their card Uh, how are you getting points by top decking and getting one through three points tournament rules are you just count the cards in your hand how many cards you got you ignore the um, the points on them I like playing that way personally but it kind of adds to the fun of like what did I get you know the game is not to be taken seriously you could play with kids who could possibly win by just flicking wildly. Mm-hmm. Or you can play with serious players that can hone in on the skill it takes to manipulate the penguins in certain ways because they're weighted penguins. Um, they have, like, they're, 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 the bottom of them is a ball, and then they you can flick them in a way to make them take sharp turns or bounce off of walls, like kind of like pool style. And into, curve as well. Yeah. Curving. And you could, like, flick them to where they jump and go over walls. So it's a game that you could like get really serious on, and it doesn't look like a serious game, but you can get serious about the skill involved that it takes to play, or you can play with kids or family, and that's that's why it's my number three. That's why I felt like it was um, good to mention, and I see now that it's higher on somebody's list. The broke rules already. Uh, so I messed up. <laughs> the other thing I didn't mention actually is uh, there's a lot of really good stacking games as well, which are kind of gimmicky and they're a lot of fun to play while I'm playing them, like Riff Raff and like uh, Hamster Roll or whatever. The games I kind of focused on are games where there's more game in them, like kind of like just kind of more mechanisms. Uh, that's kind of the stuff I like about dexterity games. Which brings me to number three, Meeple Circus. We mentioned it because it has app integration. It's more like a soundtrack, I feel, than an app. Basically, there's some timed events where you have to do things. There's a, kind of a whole game wrapped around the dexterity element. You're actually drafting cards in preparation for future performances. You need to get specific elements. I think there's a, we haven't played it for a while, actually. If I remember correctly, there's variable scoring. So, like, you need certain elements to do your performance to score specific points at specific points in the game. So, that's the drafting part is you're kind of actually thinking about how am I going to put these together and what things do I need for future rounds. Um, And then you actually have the performance, which is pretty fun. And it has, like, timed events where you have to, like, stand up and bow or just kind of, like... Do specific, like, wacky things as if you're performing in a circus. Um, so it's a pretty cool game. It's pretty fun. There's a lot of game going on. There's actually, like, thinking involved in future planning for, like, which pieces do I need, which pieces fit together well to accomplish certain objectives. Um, I have a lot of fun playing it. We haven't played it that much. I feel like we should play it more. Uh, 
some of that is actually kind of reviewing the rules. I feel like the game has kind of a lot of rules for a dexterity game. So um, it's that's every time we are about to pull it out, I'm just like, oh, I have to remember all the rules. And I think we... on my list has like two rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. See penguin, hit penguin. <laughs> like I say, I like game. I like dexterity games with game in them, and Meeple Circus definitely has a game in it. So that's my number I three. I really like Meeple Circus. The only reason why it's not on my list is for two reasons. One is the fact that uh, and it's not even the app I'm fine with the app one is the fact that it it has a lot of rules that's what makes the game good but again like for my, for for dexterity games I want them to be simple I want them to throw them out and be like here's how to play let's play because I, I don't take them that serious yeah um yeah. And yeah and uh I'm a little bit different there as you can tell yeah, but, yeah. The other reason is that it has a lot of silliness in the game, again, which makes it fun, but it makes it to where I have to really be in a certain mood to want to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of these games, like, it doesn't really matter the mood I'm in for the most part. I, I could just flick or stack stuff, but with this, like, I have to be in the mood to be, I have to be in a silly mood. <laughs> Which is a lot of times, actually, but still. Yeah. You have to be in the mood to actually perform a circus performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really cool because, like, the focus on at the last round is on you. Everybody's watching you, so it feels like you're performing. Yeah. Because yeah. you are you have all eyes on you while you're stacking and then making sure to pretend to eat a sandwich or whatever. Oh, that yeah. sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> Never mind, I don't want to play that game. Um Okay, so my number three is Hamster Roller. Christo mentioned it briefly. So in Hamster Roller, you have, I think, seven different sized and shaped pieces of wood in front of you. And then in the middle of the table, there is a giant wooden circle with wheel. a wheel. wheel. Yeah, with kind of, not, like not spokes that go all the way across. Yeah, like shelves. Yeah. And now you have to... Um, you have to stack your pieces. You have to be the first person to get all your pieces onto the hamster wheel. But as you put pieces on, it causes the hamster wheel to turn. Um, and anything that falls off of the hamster wheel when you place a piece becomes yours now. So now you have to get rid of those in later turns. Um, I think it's really fun because the way it's built is it's things are going to fall out of the hamster wheel. Once you get to a certain point, all the things are going to fall out. It's just minimizing that damage. I think it's a really fun game. There, there's a lot of uh, games on your guys' list that I didn't put on mine just because I just got introduced to them this last week, and they haven't like stood the test of time for me. But I think oh, a, lot of these, a lot of these would, would really make the list after a couple of plays, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, my number three is higher on somebody else's. Yeah, which I should have done. I apologize with high school. Um, my number two is Crokinole. Crokinole is kind of known as the serious person's dexterity game, although I still like don't take it as serious even still. Um, but it's uh, you're you're trying to flick tokens into uh, certain portions of the board. It's a round board and it's huge and it's really expensive. I don't own it. I've only played it at like conventions and uh, somebody I know has a board too. But it's it you you it has weird rules like you can't you can't stand up you can't even lift a butt cheek off the yeah. seat it's kind of really yeah. restrictive the sitting rules are weird yeah but you're flicking these um, discs that that if you have a good crokinole board it glides really nicely it feels really good to flick these things 
and you flick them, and you have to bounce into an opponent's piece first, and then go into the scoring spots, and you score. I think it's a really well designed game. It's like one of those games that does feel semi serious, but also feels a lot of, like a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that, that's my number two. Crokinole. I was going to say about Crokinole is actually that's maybe a dexterity game I would most likely play because you take a lot of shots and yes, you can miss, but it's still kind of fun and you feel like you're at least getting good practice. I feel like with some other games like Catacombs or like High School, once you start falling behind, like it just kind of feels bad. And then Crokinole, for some reason, it like doesn't feel as bad. I don't know, the times I've played at least. Uh, but anyway, my number two is actually Flip Ships. That's another game which is a another genre I guess it's like flipping games because it's not really flicking or stacking you're flipping a coin kind of um, that's kind of the mechanic is but it's a token the, yeah, coin, it's a, it's the, a... the coin is not a coin it's a ship it's basically space invaders so you flip a ship which is a circle which looks like a coin and it has to flip at least once and it has to land on like ships that are attacking you uh, like invaders or whatever um, there's some really cool stuff with that game where there's special powers there's shielded enemies there's actually like planning which enemy you should hit and obviously like the hilarious thing is you can just completely fail at hitting that enemy and like the whole thing could come cr crashing down but I think uh, the flipping a coin mechanic is very cool and unique and it feels really good and I wish more games actually kind of used it it's like the only game that I can think of with like flipping a coin mechanic uh, which just feels really really well there's multiple rounds there's actually planning there's um, there's actually powers that you can acquire and the game kind of has a self-balancing mechanism the more you like I think the more you kind of fail the more hits you take the more special powers you get so like you kind of like it has like a catch-up of like balancing of like uh, if you're behind the game itself helps you out so you do a little bit better if I remember correctly again it's been a lot since I played that one as well but that's my number two flip ships um, always fun to play it's a co-op game actually so it's not against people you're playing against the invaders and the final thing is you have to go in this huge Mothership, mothership yeah. box thingy where what you build out of it's actually really hard to get into. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's it's pretty difficult because it's also really far away. So you have to like have a really strong flick of the coin and actually make it into this box. Who has it? Um, we both do. We cool. yeah yeah we can um, play it sometime. Uh, I, I flick the ships. I don't flip them. Well, they have to flip at least once. That's actually in the rules. No, but you I can flick. So oh yeah it yeah still yeah yeah flips, but I yeah flick it. yeah. That's fine. I was as still long, considered a the rules game. are basically as long as it flips at least once, then you can do whatever you want. I yeah. think. So it doesn't matter. My number two is higher on somebody else's list. As is mine. Wow. My number one is Flick 'em Up. Um, not Flick 'em Up Dead or Winter, although I really like that game, but I think the game for me, I really like playing that game uh, around Halloween time, although we just played it recently after Halloween. But. Um, I don't have any problems with Dead or Winter Flick Em Up. It would be on my top five, maybe, or, or ten. Um, it's completely co-op, and I feel like it has the problem with most co-op games for me is like too many cooks in the kitchen. A lot of table talk before there is yeah. somebody flicking. And with flicking or dexterity games, I want more action than talk. That's probably why a lot of people like co-op games. For me, I just want to play, and sometimes the talking kind of gets in the way. Also, the last time we played, 
I took one turn, and then I came back to the table, and the game was over. Uh, so maybe not great at like a high player count. Um, but flick em up, regular flick em up is team versus team, and most of the scenarios they have some um, objectives that you maybe one team needs to cause and the other one needs to prevent. But for the most part, you're just trying to take each other out, and I feel like there's way less table talk as far as that goes because you just have your team first of all that you're talking to, and second of all, it's like you're just trying to take people out. So like, what is there to talk about? Like you move and you flick and you try to knock them out. And for me, it's a best example of that type of game because it just feels like this little war that's happening with very little rules and just like flicking and having fun. So that's my number one is flick them up. So this was my number three. Um, and I think that, so maybe don't talk to people as much. I wanted to start the game and I was like, I'm going to shoot some zombies. And all of you guys are like, well, then you'll make a lot of noise and they might attack you. No, I think the thing to do is be like, yeah, Matt, shoot some zombies. Because how did we lose? We didn't shoot enough zombies. <laughs> so I, I just like the flicky, the actual flicking of this. Like the sniper rifle is great. The bat, the, the way they implement different weapons, the shotguns. My favorite flick em up would actually be if they did like Halo. Like, you know, the first person shooter and it was just all pure flicking, like add in like a rocket launcher, like a sticky grenade. That'd be sick, like four on four and it's just pure shooting. No like well be careful. Like those snaps where like you like literally like they literally explode. (laughs) (laughs) Pop pop. (laughs) You you should try regular flick em up. I think you might enjoy that more. The cowboy one? Yeah, that is just action. It's just mainly just shoot each other. Uh, I was actually gonna disagree with Brandon. I actually like that of winter more. The thing is it's very punishing. Uh, the reason we failed is not because of bad planning. The reason we failed is because someone missed two shots. And I don't blame them for it. It's actually kind of difficult to make shots. But it, again, it's one of those games, flicking games, where you have to make the shots. It doesn't matter how much you talk about, like, ooh, I'm going to do so many cool things. If you don't make the shots, the game's over. And that's what happened. If someone needs to make one shot with two attempts, they just didn't do it. So the game was over. And that's how, that's my experience with uh, Shout out flicking. Stucky. That's, 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 that's my experience with flicking games anyway. Uh, my number one is Junk Art. Uh, Junk Art is a game where it's multiple games in one. Um, it's you play several mini games with the same pieces and actually there's like a nice split you choose game there's like a speed stacking game there's like a drafting game there's like a screw your neighbor game basically they're like different cities trick trick taking i guess so like there's a there's different like cities so to speak where you go to to make exhibitions thematically uh you're building art pieces and every city has its own rules and its own condition and you score points and uh it's almost like the ultimate stacking game or something i guess because uh unlike you, you, it's basically like owning like 10 different games in a way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you play with the same pieces, but it's like uh, kind of a different experience every time you play that game, and it, the cities come out in a different way, so you can just experience kind of different mechanics, rules, uh, feels of the same, in the same box. The other thing that I think the game is so cool for is uh, the pieces actually fit... Uh, well with each other they're specifically designed so if you plan well you can kind of fit pieces into each other and not fail and they look really cool if you um, 
go online or uh, look at our pictures, you'll see uh, they, they you just build this like cool looking structure, which is not just cubes or whatever. It has like really weird pieces, but they fit nicely with each other. Uh, the game's fun to play every time. I really enjoy it. Um, even if I lose, I enjoy it. It's like kind of doesn't matter. There's scoring, obviously, but like whatever. Um, usually, I push it just a little too far, uh, so I fail like right before the scoring happens. But it's still fun to play. It's a really good good game. Junkard is probably the best stacking game, and also with the um, the different like games that you could play, the, the good thing about it is it's not a lot of rules for each game, so it's not like you're reading a ton of rules for each game that you're playing. It's it's a very brief like rules description before you go into the next game. And are I they all like good? That. Because the variety is only good if the games are good. I don't know if I've played... I've liked all four. I don't know if I've played every single one of them. I think in the game that we played, we played like almost half of them, I'd say, so I think you've yeah, seen like two. probably more than half of the game. Oh, um, we played with six. With six, six with different, different cities. Games. Six yeah. different yeah. cities out of like ten or something. So you've seen like more than half. They were all good. I liked all. But the they're all good. Yeah, they're all well designed. Is the other thing. Like it's not like gimmicky. Like you know, like kind of reminds me of those like Tetris games, like one thousand games in one or something. But they're like half of them are crap. The yeah. junk card games are actually like all good. Yeah, I don't know I like if I played every single one, but I played a lot of them, and I haven't played a one one of them where I'm like, this is dumb. I've played one that I've liked better than the other, ones that I like less, but. None of them felt like bad to me. I, I don't think they threw in games just because they wanted more. I think they thought about each one of them. And, and, and I think it's more going to be a preference thing when it comes down to it of who likes what. Yep. Junk Art was my number two. I really liked the concept of like the different mini games in the box. I really liked the fact that all you have to do is explain like you stack pieces. These are the things you can do. These are the things you can't do. Now let's play. It's a very simple... Like, you just have to kind of go over the rules um, as you come to each minigame. It's my number two, too. My favorite thing about it is actually the tension. Even if you have something stacked really well, you're just, you have to wait for the game to end, for nobody to bump the table, for you not to breathe wrong. A lot of times you have to add meaningless pieces to the bottom and knock those off without collapsing your whole structure, and it's tense the whole time, and at the very end you're just like, oh. Which is like a great sign for a game. Or, it, oh. <laughs> yeah. If you're, or you're hearing that telltale wood hitting wooden table sound. Yeah. The, the crumbling of every of your dreams. It's of. funny to be like looking down and paying attention to your structure and then looking up and seeing like Matter Cristo with this huge structure, tall, like uh-huh. like pressing as hard as they can, and then looking at another person's being like, What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Why why is that happening over there? So I, I think it's funny too. Yeah. Um, my number one was Manara. Um, so this is, I guess, it, it feels like a spiritual successor to Villa Paletti, um, both of which I've just managed to play this week. Um, I like Manara slightly better because it's a co-op game, but I don't feel like it suffers too much from the, the flick-em-up syndrome. Yeah, the table talk feels... Minimal, because eventually, yeah. like I'll in this disagree game, later, but go on. Oh, <laughs> see, for me in Minara, I guess in like in Flick 'em Up, I do want to spend time like figuring out what's the best strategy. How can we use our people in Minara? It's like just just give me the hard one, flip it over. I don't care. Like at some point, you can just tell everybody else that you don't care and you're gonna do what you're gonna do. 
I, didn't, I really do agree with that. No. I didn't like how it was a co-op. I wanted to like press my luck and be edgy, but I was responsible to all you guys who were saying like, please don't ruin my game, and so I had to like do boring options. Where my instincts are to you know, I would much rather try and screw my neighbor. That's why hamster rolly is so fun, and that's why riff raff is so fun. You want to hang something precarious and be like, here, Brandon, you're next. Deal with this. In Minara, it's the exact opposite, and it's just like, okay, See, I hope that, I draw good cards and just stack it. That's a problem I have with nice. co-op games in general. Yeah. Is like me sometimes when I play games like competitive games, I like to do weird strategies just to see what happens. And and with co-op games, like now you're responsible for the entire table. Exactly. And so like if you do something wrong, like it feels bad yeah. to everyone. And if I do something wrong for just me, like who cares? Yeah. I'll get over it. I was but, laughing because Matt, you weren't trying to do edgy, stu- edgy stuff, but I feel like you did edgy stuff, and we had like a really weird game. Well, I like, wanted to be edgier, so <laughs> like by the I was rating game, it in. By the end of the game, I was trying to like balance things out. I was like, I don't understand how we're gonna win this. <laughs> we didn't, which which is fine. But uh, Minar is actually like an honorable mention on my list. Um, the reason that be, for that is because uh, we only got it recently, so I haven't played it that much. I'm not sure if I'm still going to like it after like five plays or something. Um, the other thing is uh, there is game there. I'm not sure if it's enough game for me to consider like a really good game. I really like the planning of it actually. There's yeah. some, there. Um, unlike a lot of dumb stacking games, you actually like have to think about what's coming. There's because limited, colors and yeah, such, there's yeah. limited things you can think about. Obviously it's kind of like there's luck involved obviously and like random flips and stuff which is, makes it not so much heavy planning. But there is planning, so there's kind of an interesting game going on. The other thing that's really cool about it is you build a really cool structure. I really like the look of like a completed non-fail structure at the end of the game, which yeah, we had a really, really cool pretty. cool game last week with it. I think it's skewed actually pretty heavily towards planning as opposed to dexterity. That you can actually be not very dexterous and be good at this game. You yeah. just have to be able to gently put a cylinder in a really prescribed circle. All of the does it fall down or not comes in the planning and the in your head yeah. is the, where's the center of mass here yeah i was gonna say actually center of mass is very important in that game and that's kind of unique because usually you're stacking like pieces on top of pieces and like you care about center of mass but it's not that big of a deal the triangles and center of mass is really cool in uh minara i think that's a really unique kind of feeling cool dexterity thing i think the planning is a plus in this game planning honestly because it, it makes it feel more of a game and i do feel like the tabletop talk is less because of what Christo said too like they're just like less things to think about it's like color what um what like platform is coming out next and like what you have available as far as trading uh pieces goes so there's not a lot to talk about it's mainly trying to maybe talk people out of doing weird things and that's it and honestly like like again with dexterity games i don't take them so serious to where like i want to win that bad so like I'm perfectly fine with Matt doing the weirdest things and seeing what, how we can deal with it. It's fine. <laughs> Permission given. It's almost like extra difficulty <laughs> added. Yeah, yeah, with Matt really playing. Media, it's like the trader next level. Yeah, yeah, trader yeah exactly. Matt always has a trader mechanic to the co-op game. That's perfect, yeah. Because he makes a mis- or he does something crazy and we have to fix it. Matt's number one. My number one is Ice Cool. Um... If they had, like, a Friday night ice cool, I think I could actually, like, get into it as a hobby. I really like this game and wish people played it more. Um, I really like miniaturized sports and stuff, like pickleball instead of tennis. I really like darts. 
Um, I like this more than just like pool or billiards. Um, just we had a five minute break just to warm up at the be before we started, and in that amount of time, you can learn the basics of some of the cool trick shots. Like you, the cool thing about this is that you can hop over the walls, like that one level in Mario Kart, if you know what I'm talking about. Like you can flick your, you can learn how to flick your penguin up over walls instead of through doors pretty easily, um, which make for really you know like sexy plays, right? Um, and then there's interesting geometries if you wanted to get really deep into it. Like, do you remember the movie from math class called Donald Goes to Magic Land? Anybody? Yes, Donald Goes to Magic Land. I feel like that... Math doing, Yeah, it was all about the golden ratio and how cool players, like, plan their ricochets and stuff. Except for that's with a perfectly spherical ball. These penguins actually do, like cool but predictably crazy things and um just somebody said that a little kid could just flick it randomly and make the coolest shot in the universe i think with practice you could actually um learn to do cool shots consistently mm -hmm. and i think there's a really high skill cap in this game and i don't see it replacing pool in the next 10 years but give it 15 <laughs> And we'll be playing ice cool in smoky pool rooms, and there's a poker game in back, and people will be betting hundreds of dollars. And... <laughs> so the thing is, the spectrum is really large for this game of who can play. That's what I really like about it, is I could bring it out to pretty much anybody, yeah. and there's going to be probably interest. I think if they change the theme, it could be a more serious game. Mm -hmm. Instead of penguins in so, high school and drawing cards off the top of the deck when you score, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a tournament at SaltCon. You should you should join it. I'll do it with you. It's really fun. Um, oh, go ahead. This game didn't make my list for one reason and one reason only, is I can play one game before my finger hurts so bad. <laughs> so bad. Those penguins are hard on your finger. Um, it was the first time I played. I think I'm flicking better. Does it hurt your finger? No. Does it hurt your finger? Uh, a little bit, but I think actually you should make sure that you don't hit hit the beaks of the penguins. Yeah, I was going to say, you get that <laughs> beak in there, and that's... Yeah. If you hit the beak, it's kind of painful sometimes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> we, all, we were also, like, practicing, so, like, hitting over and over, so, like, yeah, your finger's probably going to... There's a game that I think replaces pool, and it's called something billiards. I cannot remember. Karam? Karam? There's no Karam, yeah. pockets. No, I've been interested in no. Karam. Actually, it's not Karam. Nine ball. No, it has a little like launching pad that has like a rubber band kind of thing with discs, and then like stand up little things that you put them together like pool, and then you you hit them, and each one of them has numbers on them. If you knock it down, you get those points. If you knock down several of them, you get those points for each one you knock down. So if you want the points on the thing, you knock down just the one. If you want multiple points, you knock down multiple things, too, and you just count. Um, also, it has a cool scoring mechanism where you have to get to this number exactly. So if you go over, you, everything you're flicking over is going is getting minus points for you to get to that like oh, 30 that's cool. sounding familiar now. Um, it's called something billiards. I wish I remembered the name, but it's... Uh, yeah. Is it more like a board game or more like shuffleboard? It's like huge. So it's okay. more like shuffleboard. It's like almost the size of this table. It's really expensive. That's the only reason why I don't have it in storage, but I want to get it. Someday I'll get it and we'll play. Yeah. Something billiards. Maybe next show I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Or someone can email us. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that is our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you listen this long, maybe you like the show. So you should maybe give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, we would like to ask you to check out our social medias. We have a Facebook and we have a Instagram. We've made it very easy for you. It's just cards and cubes. We also have a website, a new website that we are going to be continuously working on. So check it out. It's very easy. It's cardsandcubes.com. That's it. Um, if you want to email us, you want to ask us questions or leave comments, um, that is cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Johnson, Lindsay Hobbs, sorry, for some name change, uh, for composing our theme, and Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Um, you can find her stuff on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E. And until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Bye.